I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Ryan Bullen. And we love to watch. We love to watch two SUVs bump uglies. Going. You're really trying to create a new tone here for the intro, aren't you, Peter? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna oh, keep yeah. it down low and NPR style. Yeah. So welcome to the show. We're gonna we're just gonna get it right out there. We're doing Southland Tales before it's been four episodes later, and then we're like, hey, in episode 23, we forgot to mention the episode title. <laughs> so this is, we're doing Southland Tales. It's the second week of Kitchen Sink slash Bug Nuts Month, and as you heard. We have a surprise guest. His name is Ryan. He is Peter's <laughs> best friend. Now, to be fair, this is the first guest that we've ever had that is in the same room with someone recording. So, Peter claims it's someone named Ryan. There is at least a greater than 0% chance that this is just uh, Peter doing a new voice for the show. Um, oh, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he tells me it's his best friend, about. Ryan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Ryan, why don't you, why don't you introduce yourself? And tell us three things about yourself. Oh, man. I don't know. My name's Ryan. Like I said, Ryan Bowen. That, that Bullen. doesn't count. Like that doesn't movies. count. Um, That's one of the three. Let's see. Three things about myself. I'm a big Dwayne The Rock Johnson fan, which is why I think Peter kind of tapped me on the shoulder for this. Ever since, you know, back in the day, like Walking Tall and The Rundown and that, that kind of stuff. So I felt like this, was, an a, old school fan. this was a good one to try and hop in on. Those are certainly um, all the rock movies. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you were dead um, on in what your interest and what you were watching. Armageddon, this is Fast and the Furious <laughs> Part 3, uh-huh. Tokyo Drift, Citizen Kane, Director's Cut. Yeah. They're all the great rock movies. With Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, Tooth Fairy 2. Yes. <laughs> the Wolfenstein movie. <laughs> now we're just talking about unreleased movies they never made. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was in the Doom movie. Oh. That was the joke. Um, it wasn't the Doom movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ryan's an old school, an old school Dwayne the Rock Johnson fan. So I thought it would be appropriate to bring him on. He, he's uh, somebody who's been been telling me the praises of Dwayne the Rock Johnson for so long that uh, I don't even think he was that good back when Ryan started singing his no, praises. Probably so. not. No. <laughs> well, this was the first. This was his first movie where he dropped the rock. He, this is his first Dwayne Johnson film. <laughs> the serious Dwayne Johnson this joint. Is, this is his first being like, I'm just the actor, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> that is the best fucking way to say that you changed your name. I dropped the rock. <laughs> yeah. Oops, did I just drop the rock? <laughs> he just went to a press conference and literally dropped a two-ton boulder. Yeah. That is the coolest way anyone has ever changed their name to Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> I can think that he dropped the rock, but then automatically went like, do you smell what I... Oh, fuck. Fuck. Shit. <laughs> I, do you smell what Dwayne did in the I kitchen? Don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what Dwayne says in this kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne makes a nice chicken marsala. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be like... But the thing is, when you're as cool as the rock, um, you, like, don't hold anything against him. Like, even though I hate the show Ballers, I'm like... Well, he's just kind of a baller. I mean, he's still... Absolutely. Or, like, in this movie, he says, I'm a pimp. Yeah. And you're like... Pimps don't commit suicide? (laughs) Yeah. Ballers do. Spoilers for season two of Ballers. (laughs) Ballers absolutely do. I wish there was some sort of, like, handed down decree from the network that as soon as your show ends, all of your characters have to commit suicide (laughs) in the finale. Just a really weird 
episode of like sitcoms. True story. Every, that is how Little House on the Prairie ended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> every show has a James, has a uh, a bottle episode, and every show has a Jamestown episode. <laughs> you mean Jonestown? Whatever. Or, I, know. <laughs> I like the idea that uh, every every series should have an episode where people discover the new world. <laughs> it's their Jamestown episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I frequently misspeak on the podcast, and um, like we just pointed out, if it's particularly stupid, uh, it gets to stay in. So that one gets to stay in. You're welcome, guys. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, number two? I'm like a notoriously picky eater. I get you there. So uh, I think Aaron's similar. Like, I'm better now. I would say even within the last year, but really for the longest time, I would just eat like pizza and breakfast foods. And peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, have I ever told you the story, Peter, of that I ate pizza for essentially four years in a row? <laughs> <laughs> this makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. That's what I can say. Uh, I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. So one day I found out that the gas station near my work had four for $10 Jack pizzas. And then I just oh, kept God. going there until I met my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Like, so those were meals just done boom, yeah, boom. that's like that's like a meal they're like 1100 calories so you can eat two yeah and you're about at your daily recommended limit which is good um because you work. know you're not waking up, you don't wake up before noon if, if jacks is your food source i will say though i i probably weighed less than i do now uh because when all nutrition yeah <laughs> but when all you have is frozen pizzas in your house like 90 90 percent of the time you don't get to snack. You're like, am I hungry enough for a full meal? And then if you are, you cook the Jack's pizza. If you're not, you wait a couple hours. So now that we're like, I'm a responsible adult and our kitchen is stocked with all sorts of different uh, food group items and uh, snacks, it's so much easier for me to wander into the kitchen anytime I have a minor rumble in my tummy and go, well, I guess I'll have some Cheez-Its. Um, <laughs> back then it was like, no, I got to wait till I'm fucking starving. I'm going to eat this whole pizza. Yeah, and you that makes sense, especially because you have a daughter now. So there's especially like animal crackers and cheez-its and shit just like floating around everywhere because it's like this is what the kid eats when we want the kid to not whine so do you still buy jack's pizzas i do yeah that's what i really wanted to know okay <laughs> i want to make sure like if you open the freezer right now was there a chance that they'd still be in there which is good <laughs> when when i got married my wife said during our wedding speech she said i've never eaten as much pizza as i have since i started uh you know being with aaron and so, and she said that she used to eat pizza like once a month, and now you know, just based on how much we eat, yeah. So, so we're eating it like once a week. So that that's like that's like an increase for her. And I, then when I went up, I'm like, look, you you went from eating one pizza a month to four pizzas a month. I went from eating thirty one pizzas a month to four. Like, who is making the bigger change in this relationship? <laughs> no, in college and stuff, me and Peter would make jokes where all of a sudden I'd look at him and I'm like, I've had seven straight meals that have just been pizzas. And he's like, why? And my favorite was one time where I was like, and they were from three different places. <laughs> like, one, one was from Papa John's, and then I had some leftover from Domino's, and then I made a frozen pizza. And I was like, this is my life. That's right. living. That's your living. Of life. Yeah, little did you know that was going to be the best years of your life. <laughs> oh, I know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, the other the other weird th- – so I have another question. Do you keep your Jack's pizzas uh, like a corpse in like a uh, open lid freezer in your basement? Yes. <laughs> like like you should like, – like, No, it's yes. A little bit the too answer much is to absolutely drink. yes. <laughs> you have like a little bit too much to drink. You're like, you want to see something? 
I mean, I don't not I don't I don't have that many people over that want to are interested in seeing frozen pizzas. I'm like, oh, and here's also the chicken nuggets because our freezer is a little small upstairs. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, we do have it. We do have a freezer in the basement that opens up like all all adults do. The second you have a kid, you're like, gotta get that that freezer basement or basement freezer. Um, the freezer basement. Uh, love freezer basement. The whole yeah. freezer basement. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's, that's where we uh, we we carry our uh, rack of beef. That's, that's <laughs> sentence got away from me. Um, do you, Ryan? Uh, number three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Do you have a do you have a, a number three? <laughs> this is what we call dead air. <laughs> that's the great yeah, thing all, about this not being radio. radio. Yeah. But actually, I'm, I'm trying to think. Because I, uh, I was always even the worst of this in high school. And somebody's like, two truths and a lie. I was like, well, I got the lie. Locked and loaded. <laughs> I need to, need to figure out two truths. This reminds me of when I was in high school. I, uh, I There was a class. This is, this is going to sound like a depressing story. But I was at a class where they were like, you need to give a speech on the one thing you're good at. And I truly couldn't come up with one thing. And I was like, this isn't like xavier academy from x-men like i don't have not everybody has like a special skill also i'm 15 i haven't had a time to cater anything like you should have said i rarely get surprised with a letter i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm an expert draft dodger like what what skills does a 15 year old have any right to have yeah probably how often you masturbate (laughs) <laughs> like, I just go in front of the class and explain how the stranger works. It is <laughs> off the charts. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Ryan, do you have a number three? Or is it masturbating? In which case, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, I don't like the word masturbate. It's self-love? <laughs> That's your number three? It's just the word? You don't like the word masturbating? No, it's just I like the term self-love. <laughs> okay. That's a good number three. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much, super, Ryan. Thanks, I'm Ryan. Super happy to be uh, here. Uh, I'm so yeah. happy that that's my number three. I hope such a I- such a different tone than our other guests, but it's good. It's good to bring uh, fresh blood that don't have uh, things to promote and just want to say what words they like to use oh, when they touch I, themselves. I uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I want to promote is self love. <laughs> yeah, child, a child of the seventies. Yeah. Did you not ask every other guest where they felt on the word masturbation, or does that only? Yeah, it just it just it's it gets edited out of most episodes. Um, but this one's probably gonna get left in. Yeah, perfect. That's what I like to hear. Zach had about forty minutes of uh, discussion. uh... (laughs) I guess. I guess. Yeah. Actually, one other guest. We did talk about it. Yeah. So anyway. So yeah. I have a. I have a quick segment before we get into the movie. It's an expert segue. segue. So, anyways, we've never written a segue. <laughs> God, this one is—it has nothing to do with the movie. That you know, it's you know, Peter's been a host on this show now for you know, as far as I know, as many episodes as, as I've been on. You know, Peter talks a lot about himself. I think we all do. We, we get to know him through Peter, but we have this amazing opportunity that you don't get that often to get to know one of our hosts uh, through the eyes of someone else, someone that knows him very well, uh, his best friend. Uh, so today we're going to play a little game called uh, yes. Peter, Life from a Distance. <laughs> and what this game... Ryan, you are the main participant in this game. Fantastic. Um, so what? I'm just going to ask you some questions about Peter, um, and you you can answer them. If, if you get them right, uh, Peter can tell you how you got it right or how you got it wrong. Uh, you get a point. If you get it wrong and Peter has to go, actually, this is how this happened, or this is what I think would happen... Um, 
Peter gets a point. And right. <laughs> and regardless, as, if I ask a question uh, and enunciate every word properly, I get a point. So the first question is, uh, Ryan, what did you think of Peter when you first met him? Let's see. I think we met in, like, first grade? Probably first like grade. And uh, I don't know. I was kind of a, a little bit of a shithead in grade school, so... <laughs> I, we didn't really get along in first... Like, we really started becoming friends in, like, seventh grade. So, first grade... Oh, wait, no. No, it was before that, right? Can I tell this story? Yeah. So, Peter was... You're so, going to be telling a lot of stories, so you no, can just I know. not ask that. I like how I didn't explain <laughs> what story it was, but... This wait, probably shouldn't be an episode that I have final edit on. When, when did you... Because you started in kindergarten? I started in first grade at St. Field, and then before that I was at uh, the Montessori School. Oh, okay. Then maybe I'm just making memories up since we've known each other for so long. But so in first grade, I remember, I don't know, you were a little bit outside of just the main group of people, if I can remember correctly. But it was just because you were, I guess you consider like cooler because you would take after your older brother. So you knew all like these bands that people didn't even know about, like all that kind of stuff. And so, so you. So you, can I interject? So in first grade, he was the cool one that no one else hung out with? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, no. He had, that's a thing. He had tastes. Completely outside of ours, he had he had it really really is. I'm not even uh, trust me. I've known Peter long enough where I'm not trying to be nice. It was it was just like he had tastes of how much older is Charlie than you? Seven years. Yeah, you cared about stuff that somebody seven years older than us, and we were just like, yeah, we don't care if you heard the now that that's what I call music too because that shit's popping. <laughs> and Peter would just be like, no, I'm listening to like garage band rock or whatever. Um, so no, we really didn't get Such along. Such a cool thing to say. Yeah, garage oh, yeah. band rock. Garage band rock. I'm like, ooh, I don't want any interest in that even to this day. Um, we really didn't. We didn't get along for some reason. No, I, I was like more of an abrasive person. And I would just write people off, and I don't think Peter was exactly like looking to be friends with people. So he's just like, well, fuck it, and we just like it was. It was like, there's no specific bumping heads, but it was just like, well, this doesn't work, and we just like didn't. I think I I made a play on Moran and Moron, and <laughs> no. Peter was not a fan of that. <laughs> Peter, Peter wasn't having that. Was I, was I, um, was it the first time that I had heard it, or the thousandth time I'd heard it? Because <laughs> my answer was probably very different. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh no, this is my life. And then the thousandth time, I was like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Peter, here's the problem with you interjecting too soon. You are also the person that needs to say if he got it right or wrong. Oh, yeah. I forgot that there's a game here. Yeah. I'm I'm too in my own bubble to, to say not. some of those opinions are correct. But honestly, I think that that's pretty true. I was I was a weird kid very early on. Be like liked... Garage Band Rock. <laughs> garage Band Rock. Yeah. <laughs> I liked what my older brother and my older sister, who are five and seven years older than me, I liked what they liked. And I really, really looked up to them. So the other thing that comes out of this is that you should never send your kids to a school that has less than 100 people in it. Yep. Our school had 35 kids, I think, in the graduating class. Yeah, per class. It maxed out at 35. Yeah. and our Everyone fucked everybody. <laughs> yeah. I wish that that was the <laughs> story. Everyone was like brother and sister. Yeah. So like, oh, this is weird. And then so like in fifth grade, I dated the one girl that I thought was really cute. And then after that, I was like, all right, well, I guess I just have to hang out till high school. Like yeah. you just, Oof. you just like, especially if you're a self-conscious, like adolescent you just don't 
learn anything. You don't care to learn anything new about people. All right, so I think that's a point to Ryan. Uh, just FYI, <laughs> guys, the there's 11 more of these. So oh, God. All right, all right. We, so, we, we, we well, got to... Uh, we gotta speed it up a tiny bit. Right. Uh, as much as I like hearing Peter not chime yeah. in, and I'll get to the point. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll shut the fuck up. Okay, uh, number two, Ryan. Who would win in a fight, or who has won in a fight? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, are there like weapons involved, or is this just <laughs> fist to fist? Fist to fist. Okay. Um, I'd probably say Peter. Peter. Right or wrong? I disagree. The last time that we, we've never actually had a fist fight before, which is kind of amazing considering how much alcohol we've consumed together. True. Never a genuine. Um, we were college roommates. <laughs> we're happy drunks. And we were friends all through high school. And like, no punch was ever thrown. Like, we're pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty chill. The last time Ryan and I wrestled, though, he severely overpowered me. So I'm going to say Ryan won that won that one so he gets to lose a point there okay <laughs> yeah so peter gets a point because ryan can beat up peter but i win i win the hypothetical battle we're yeah, the- about the same size like we're six we're both six foot ish but uh i think ryan's a little a little uh, more muscly than me okay well i have two points yeah it's true i've been i've been keeping track of you okay good um at this point just to be clear uh no matter how many more questions i ask um i'm gonna win because you guys have already split the vote. Uh, <laughs> Unless you mess up one of the questions. <laughs> well, that'll be up to me to decide. I am the judge. Anyway, number three. It did happen last week. Yeah, I did. I really... I get, Hey, in fairness, I gave myself minus five points, even though that hadn't been established. <laughs> I felt really <laughs> shitty about not understanding my own question. Anyway, number three. What is Peter's most embarrassing drunk story? Oh, I don't think I was... Th- well, you don't have uh, yeah, to be I, there. Trust me, you won't have to be there for some of these. <laughs> but you know. No, yeah. So, I'm trying to think of embarrassing, more like eventful. So, when he went to Indiana for a little five, he... Let's see. He was out drinking with our friend Brian and had a little bit too much. He ended up sitting like on a railing and falling backwards. There was like a little bit of a backdrop to some stairs and hitting his head open. So, in true college fashion, they just took a bandana, tied it around his head, said, that'll, that'll do, and uh, continued on the night, and then the next morning woke up with just dry blood on his head and that kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't there for any of that, but I think that that's Peter's most embarrassing story. It's not too off the charts. Peter's that your most embarrassing drunk story? Uh, that is the most embarrassing tr- uh, drunk story, but one specific detail he pulled from a different story. Um... <laughs> I didn't fall backwards Time on a railing. At once to God. <laughs> he didn't. I didn't fall backwards on a railing. Ryan actually saw me once fall backwards on a railing, and all I did was land in the grass. That wasn't that bad. Um, the what happened was I slipped in a hallway and, and hit my head on the runner on like the in the hallway. It had been raining a lot, and it was like a college like party house, so it was just like nobody took their shoes off. Nobody was putting down a nice rug to, to, to soak up some boots. Um, yeah, and I, I just, like, was walking down the hall in some shitty sneakers and just, like, banged my head. And then I walked to the bathroom, like, I don't feel very good. And then I was rescued by their one roommate that would happen to be sober that night. Who <laughs> was like, dude, you are bleeding a lot. And then he <laughs> had to argue with seven drunk people. Uh, whether or not to take me to the hospital, and he lost. Yep. <laughs> I was say, I remember there was at least some party that was like, he should go to the hospital, and got outvoted. <laughs> yeah, and I just sat there, and I was like, I'll go to the hospital. I don't yeah. care. I, I think- don't give a fuck, dude. I'll go to the hospital so hard right now. 
The most important thing is that democracy works. Yeah. <laughs> let's take this to a vote. And once over guy's like, no, let's not do that. Um, yeah, I remember I, I, my only memory of that was I threw up into a trash can, which I asked. I was like, can I have a trash can? I think I'm going to throw up. And someone was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just think I'm going to throw up. And then I, I threw up in there. And then someone said... Uh, yeah, do you want to go to the hospital? I was like, if you think I need to go to the hospital, then yeah, let's go. You know what's <laughs> funny is I actually knew that story because uh, the same – Peter and I, we we, t- we messaged about it at one point because the same thing happened to me uh, where I cut the back of my head open, uh, drunk at a party, uh, fell over, and there was some debate about whether to take me in the hospital or not. <laughs> and you were, it was uh, vetoed, I'm guessing. No, I, they put me in a cab. I vetoed it once I got in the cab. I'm like, I'm fine. Just take me home. <laughs> sleep it off. At that oh, point, I'd right. lost a lot of blood. <laughs> I like that the cab driver gets put, a drunk kid bleeding put in his car and yeah. says, take him to the hospital. And then you're like, nah. And he's like, I'm, like, I'm on your side, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'll just take him home. Uh, all right. Luckily, you're a cool cab. <laughs> so that that is, yeah. That's, that is another point for Ryan. So it's two to one to three. <laughs> I'll make it up by just calling him a liar next round. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number four. Uh, does Peter wipe sitting down or standing up? He wipes sitting down, but he poops standing up like okay. a man. Peter? That's true. Okay. I can confirm this. All it's right. my butt. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. It's three to one to four. Hug the homeless. A real charity Peter founded, or is he just desperate for human contact? I'm not sure if it comes across that P- Peter's a sad, sad, lonely individual. No, it co- I think it comes across. I think okay. everyone, everyone right, would agree. Me. Yeah, no, that's not real. He just hugs people on the street okay. and sometimes calls them homeless. It, sometimes they're homeless. Most God. of the time, I think they're just people going to work. Because yeah, when we hung out, he was just he was just hugging people, and some of them yep. like were asleep on benches. Oh yeah, and deep hugs, deep hugs, and yeah, he got his like neck in there, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "This is part of a charity that I have founded for people yeah. give me money and I give hugs." Yeah, I can confirm that I'm very sad. Yeah, a deep, deep grip on those hugs. <laughs> okay, all right, so that's four to one to five. <laughs> uh, next question: Where did all of his toenails go? This, this is news to me. <laughs> now I'm kind of like, Peter, where did all your toenails go? What's, what's happening? I don't know. I think he We didn't talk very... about it, but he was wearing open-toed sandals. You know, it, it feels like this is the best time to bring it up. No, it's more of like a, it's a, it's a nerve thing. He likes to chew them. He chomps them down. It's a lot of flexibility. I yeah. start at the wrong end, though, is what Ryan's neglecting to say. It's true. Like you, you, you start at your heel? I start at the fleshy end. Yep. Okay. I just work my way out to the Bites tip. down the cuticle. That's, the, that's where the meat is. That explains all the dried blood. Yeah. Um. Then you get all the fun, crunchy bits at the end. All right. Peter, was that correct? Is that why you don't have toenails? Yes. Do you not have toenails? <laughs> no. All right. That's uh, five to one to six. Mm-hmm. Um, Catch up to you. Number seven. Uh, why doesn't Peter buy the official 9-11 commission report? He always forgets. He forgets that he buys it? <laughs> no, he forgets the 9-11 happened. He forgets that, yeah, no, he forgets to buy it, but he remembers it. He always remembers that he forgets to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. Yep. That, that feels right, yeah. All I right. like the 9-11 joke on September 7th on a movie that came out right after 9-11. This is good. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not a joke. I wish it was a joke. I wish that Peter could accept what, what's occurred to this country. Um you know. Well, at least I know what to buy him for his birthday this year. 
Hold on. One. Yeah, I have what? a micro what? story. <laughs> what? What? Um, I have a micro story. The um, the the nine eleven uh, commission report. Mm, yeah. Um, when I was uh, working in politics and the the final days were coming and the office was being emptied out and they were just kind of handing out stuff to you know give to charity or stuff to take home. For some reason, my boss had like five copies uncracked of uh, the 9-11 commission report. And then we were like, well, we're divvying up everything else. <laughs> like, I'm not bringing that home. So we donated five of them to Goodwill, which were probably immediately burned for warmth. Now I'm on Aaron's side. Why would you not take that? <laughs> I don't know. So I wasn't never going to read it. It was the size of a Bible. That's an artifact. Yeah, well, that explains why you don't buy the words contained in the book. So that is so that's that's true. I don't know. I forget I don't where, know we where that falls. Yeah, yeah no, true, okay. sure. P- Peter, sure. wait, you can give that one to Peter. Peter uh, needs a point. Okay, <laughs> I'll take that one. All right, so that's six to two to eight. Uh, this is so easy for me to remember my score. I just add up your two scores. <laughs> um, easy not to get lost. Uh, number nine. Why won't Peter share his milk with anyone? I'm not sure. See, I'm, I'm more of like a 2%, 1%. He's like an almond milk. If he has real milk, it does not does not bode well. Things don't go well for him with real milk. So I've just, I've never wanted any of his milk to begin with. Um, with, with anyone, this is more than just you, Ryan. Uh, a lot well, of people were asking for milk. They don't get milk. Okay. He's got he's got his own homegrown almonds. He harvests the milk straight from their teats. It's an emotional experience for him. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like I heard that Mark Zuckerberg uh, kills the animals that he's going to eat. He doesn't just buy meat. It's part of the experiences. Like, he, he milks those almonds. He milks them within an inch of their life. And then he drinks it up. And uh, I think that he doesn't want to share it because then that's just cutting corners. You really need the full experience to enjoy that kind of almond milk. I mean, it make, that makes a lot of sense. It still feels bad in the moment. Like, when you're like, hey, I'm really thirsty for milk. He's like, yeah. nope, not this milk, you aren't. Can I get a splash it? He's like, yeah, put in about three months' time. <laughs> yeah, all right, well, that, that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Brian right. definitely gets a point on that yeah. one. That uh, definitely makes sense. <laughs> checks out. Yeah, seven to two to nine. Number ten, uh, why is Mark David Chapman uh, Peter's 401k beneficiary? I can't answer this question because of legal constraints. Peter, is that true? <laughs> that is true. Ryan can't. I can talk all about it, but okay. I just choose not to. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, you. You you shouldn't have brought your four hundred one. I mean, you posted them on Facebook. You posted, "Hey, just got my new four hundred one k paper signed at my at my job. I'm so excited <laughs> to be saving for retirement." Which great, you know, you should really shouldn't post those in public forums. But I get it. You're excited. You know, you're saving for your future. You have that nest egg. Super weird that Mark David Chapman, though, was your was your beneficiary. Yeah. You know, even monsters deserve a future, you know? For sure. It also, considering it's... who, uh, when you die, uh, he gets that. That Considering it's Mark David Chapman, you're, it feels like you're tempting fate quite a bit. You know, I think he's going to get better. I think he's going to outlive me. If he can kill a beetle, he'll kill a member of Genesis. <laughs> That's a deep dive. True, true. That's true. That's a joke for five people. (laughs) Don't explain it. Um, Uh, All right. Uh, I don't know who got a point there. I'll I'll just give all three of them to me. That one was worth three points. (laughs) I I got them. 
Uh, so yeah, it's I don't know eleven to eight to two. Yeah, sure. Who's uh, winning? There's only one more question, and this is for all the marbles. Yeah, oh. is this for all the marbles? No, only three more questions. Um, How many uh, of these questions are for the, all the marbles? Yeah, which ones are for the marbles? Uh, so the first two are for a marble each, and then the <laughs> remaining marbles are. Is that's okay. the third question? Okay. Uh, Got it. So that's for, for one for marble. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, I cannot be clearer where the marbles are going to get distributed. So that's fine. Right. Like, you all get right. the next question right. If you hold out your hands for all the marbles, you don't need to because just hold out one hand, all maybe right. just two fingers. I'll give just you the a marble. Thumb, a thumb pointer. I'll catch that marble. <laughs> yep. You'll be fine. Okay. The necklace he wears. Uh, whose baby teeth are those? Sorry, I'm just I'm looking at the necklace right now. I look I look too. That's not going to help you. I, I hoped you knew this story, being his best friend, because I assume there'd be like a name written no, on there. He, yeah, but it's just like birthdays, phone numbers, baby teeth necklaces. It's it, even if it's like your best friend, I couldn't tell you Peter's cell phone number right now. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, it's like exactly that's information that you always think you'll have. So ironically, you don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was actually. See the weird thing about his is it's not it's not, it's not baby teeth. Um, Peter, those are those are adult teeth of a tiny well, person. <laughs> no, no, but they've whittled down over time. They've, oh, okay. they kind of go down. Yeah. So when Peter Peter lost his two front teeth, a very young age, and uh, the tooth fairy came to take them, but Peter, being a fan of you know military movies, all these sorts of things, he was ready. He was like, she maybe gives me some money, but she's got money on her. I'm a jack this fool. Little to his surprise, his, his dad came in, snuck in, stole his teeth. Peter's wide awake. So Peter's pretty pissed. He waits for his dad to fall back asleep. <laughs> and he creeps in there. And he takes those teeth from his dad. Just It's fair game. And uh, he keeps that necklace just like it's like more like an alpha status. Like, hey, I take your teeth. You <laughs> you, you, I mean, you know, the rest just makes sense. The, no, the, the rest is history. The rest makes a ton of sense. It, I feel like it also explains why Mark David Chapman is his 401k beneficiary. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm not at liberty to say, but yes. <laughs> I think that solved a lot of these questions, to be honest with you. Um, Peter, is that true? It's truer than anything that I've ever heard. Okay. Uh, I was really hoping that would get a veto. Yeah, no, that's 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 the truth. Um, they were originally adult teeth of my father. Um, I, I pried them from that sucker's mouth because, yeah. uh, frankly, he was eating a lot of Jello at the time. Also, um, so you didn't need them. It didn't seem like he needed them, and also, the, you know, the old expression: um, two teeth for twenty-seven teeth. Yeah, no, I know that. That was like the first words of the Bible. <laughs> or, or one tooth, yeah. shame on you. Two teeth, shame on me. So true. Yeah. 27, 27 teeth, teeth, I'm making a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do with all those teeth? Yeah, I don't what are you going to do? Like, you can only fill so many pockets with teeth. Hmm? Yeah. You, you can only throw them in so many wishing wells. <laughs> uh, but you, they always come back, though. No matter what I do, I'd throw them down a wishing wall, I'd throw them into the gulch, I'd throw them into the quarry, and no matter what, I'd flip open my pillow the next day and there'd just be more teeth under there. I thought you were going to say they keep coming back, like, I keep seeing people with teeth walking around. <laughs> they seem coming back in my life. That's my teeth. <laughs> what you do oh, with all those teeth? Your mouth would make a pretty necklace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to leave all this to Mark David Chapman, the person who killed a beetle. Um, Mark David Chapman. The real Chappie. Yeah. My favorite murderer of Beetle. 
my yep. favorite Beatle murderer as well. Do you think they're going to let him out in time to kill Paul McCartney? I hope so. I mean, yeah. I feel like if you haven't killed a Beatle in 35 years, let him out. I just hate loose ends. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see a documentary in like 100, 300 years from like the History Channel 9 and it's just like, and Mark David Chapman evenly framed the murders of all the Beatles by killing the first Beatle to die and the last. Do you think when he found out that George Harrison had died of natural causes, he, he was watching the news in his jail cell and thought, fuck. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <sighs> Not going to get a four out of four. He's actually just going to come back and kill Jared Leto for playing him in Chapter 27. I mean, I think everyone's on board with that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he should say that at his next parole board hearing. And my guess is they're, they're going to stamp that immediately. Yeah. It's not going to hurt his chances. They just no. like, okay. Uh. <laughs> Finally, you're using your powers for good. Uh. All right. Uh, last two. Uh, Ryan, what was Peter doing the night before he lost his virginity? Yeah, you okay, so you don't even know. He was probably <laughs> he was probably sitting in his basement watching movies and playing video games. He Final wasn't out answer. buying condoms, lotion. No 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 no. It was a surprise was it a surprise never, when it happened? You'd never do that sort of thing. No, I think uh actually well No, he probably stole those from like his older brother or something. I'm gonna go with no. Sitting around watching movies and playing video games. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't exactly remember, but the, uh, the... He's probably like, asking Walgreens attendants what dental dams were. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask, uh, like, the Vegas odds, chances are I was in my basement watching a movie, and then, um, <laughs> someone was like, do you want to do it with me? And oh, I was like... like tomorrow-ish? And I just, like, grunted and asked my dad to drive me. <laughs> Dad, don't Dad, ask I questions. I just I gotta go. I Dad, I can't raise her scooter there. All right. Well, that was sort of sad. Yeah. <laughs> fact, oh, I, I gotta I gotta tell you the fact that your toothless dad had to drive you to lose your virginity yeah. is like the yeah. saddest story I've ever heard in my life. Oh yeah, he has that with pliers in his hands. <laughs> Dad, you should probably drive me. <laughs> run, run, run. Yeah. All right. Final one. Score is I don't know eleven to three to this forty-seven. Doesn't matter. I have this one's for all the marbles. This yeah, is this for all. For... This is for all the marbles. Um, what does Peter's hair smell like right now? <laughs> oh, dude, get in here. <laughs> oh, wow. Very clean. Clean is not a smell. Say, <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of exactly what kind of shampoo. It was good. It was like a, uh, like a dove. Like a dove something. It wasn't a specific fruit. It was just like general cleansiness. I'd say like ocean breeze. Something okay. like that. Peter? It's so sad how we just keep, we just keep pulling on that natural resource of ocean breeze like we're going to be depleted on ocean breeze mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. you know 2018 oh yeah before um, tw 2008 that's actually how the events of this movie occurred <laughs> <laughs> justin timberlake comes out and he's like and then they sucked up all the ocean breeze yeah <laughs> just sucked it right up that fluid whatever what it was called <laughs> fluid karma fluid yeah. karma fluid karma my hair smells like fluid karma actually ryan yeah so all right well i asked the question really well i'm gonna get all those marbles so thanks so much for playing uh normally we like to conclude the game officially before everyone takes a pee break ryan but it's fine that you just got up the second the last question was done peter had to, peter had to talk to his dog <laughs> yeah uh, meanwhile i have all the marbles Yes. Every every single one. 
because uh, I asked that last, last question. So great. So, uh, yeah. You guys ready to start talking about uh, Southland Tales? Let's talk about Southland Tales. Cease to resist Giving my goodbye Drive my All right. Peter, you're uh, Peter, you're five seconds. I got so but um <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll do a five second. That seems harder than the ninety seconds somehow. <laughs> Alright. The five second recap of Southland Tales is uh, the end of the world is happening and a writer's vision of what the end of the world is happening comes true. Alright, great work. Uh, I know I, I know last week we kinda talked about how I didn't thank you enough for things <laughs> so Aaron, just, thank you for thanking me yeah peter told me about that too thanks Aaron, for thanking peter yeah you did you did great all right um like honestly i couldn't spend five seconds any better uh <laughs> 90 second recap uh pass you nailed it uh fucking watch the movie yeah <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, it, I'm not i'm not even gonna try with this one because it, it, i don't necessarily understand what's happening you know if you're listening to this podcast about southland tales there's a good chance uh you've you've seen southland tales if you haven't fine just imagine whatever and that probably happened in this movie (laughs) well i actually i watched it i watched it twice in the last 24 hours and i think the second viewing i like actually started to come to terms with how little i understood the movie uh yeah so let's yeah, let's let's just talk a little bit. I know uh, this wasn't the first watch for any of us, so let's just do like a quick each take a couple minutes and talk about uh, their experience with this movie, what they thought this time, and then we'll start getting into some uh, bigger bigger thoughts and themes. Yeah, do you want me to do you want me to take the lead? Yeah, go nuts. So this movie is sort of in my in the back of my mind. I sorted it with Dune by David Lynch, Strange Days by Catherine Bigelow. The sort of you know director gets a chance to make a big budget Hollywood movie. An indie director gets a chance to make one of these these big AAA titles, and then all of a sudden like things get funky. Sort of like uh, Darren Aronofsky in The Fountain, and a lot of those movies are all super well regarded by a specific cult of person not not necessarily by me i like stranger days a lot a lot but um i like the fountain a lot i wasn't a big fan of the fountain but i thought of it in when i was watching southland tales as well it's this big chance it's this chance for this director who's been doing sort of smaller movies this chance to make this big operatic sci-fi adventure and then all of a sudden their just career kind of stutters and uh, or comes to a pretty much a halt with richard kelly and I always thought of the movie like that, where it's like, oh, that might be great. Um, but I just, you know, I'm going to putting it off because it's a two and a half hour, super ambitious, super weird movie. Like, you don't always have time in your day. For that. <laughs> two hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, two hour, 40 minutes. Uh, the, and it feels every it, minute. It, it is a movie that I kept doing the, the thing that we talk about where you hit the little... Uh, timeline button on your remote to be like how far am i along in this movie i was like this is definitely the climax no wait it's not um yeah it's definitely it's definitely a keys to the kingdom like where someone's like hey everyone really likes this movie that didn't do well in theaters why don't i give them a bunch of money (laughs) (laughs) exactly 
so yeah, I basically my my version of it was that I thought it was a super ambitious movie I'd get to someday, and but I saw it when I was fifteen and I didn't like it. But you know, if you have any sense of perspective, if you didn't like something when you were fifteen, you might love it now. Like you're such a different person once you've been removed from your teenage years and your respect for the movies. Like I thought maybe I would love it. I was very very excited to watch this movie and. uh I didn't really like it. <laughs> I don't think it's worth the, the, the sort of forgotten masterpiece status that it might receive. Um, hmm, interesting. Ryan, I think Ryan's story might be similar, but I'm not sure. Ryan, what do you what do you think? Let, uh, let Ryan speak for himself, Peter. I mean, I, I don't remember any details when I first watched it when I was younger, because I did remember renting it like physical disc from Netflix because, like I said, I, I genuinely did like watching Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So I was like, all right, like, let's see what this is about. Um the one thing that I remember is right before I watched it, Peter sent me a text that just said, I mean, this was last night, that said, uh, it's, it's a lot stranger than I expected. <laughs> and that was when I was like, okay, that at least helped me set up for a little bit weirder of a movie. Um, on the second viewing, I will say I actually looked at, like you said, the timeline. When they're in the house, like when Mandy Moore first comes on screen, I thought for sure the first time, I was like, oh, I think I wrote down in my notes, Mandy Moore cameo, because I thought that that was going to be the climax. I was like, oh, we're finally here. That is... That's like an hour into the movie. That is just <laughs> under halfway. So that's like hour 15. <laughs> well, I thought it was like maybe hour 40. I didn't look at how long it was or anything. I just popped it in. And uh, so the second time I watched it, I like clicked it and was like, oh, my God, there is still so much left. Like, oh, man, there's so much. There's a lot of movie here. Um, I picked up on because I, I did some poking around afterwards, but I definitely picked up on uh, it felt like there was a Pulp Fiction influence because there were a bunch of characters and they tried to intertwine them. And all of the actors portraying them were kind of doing opposite their generally usual roles or whatever they were i mean it was clearly trying to break out of some sort of bubble that most of these actors were in um i just didn't there was no part i didn't enjoy it it really did the two hours and 40 minutes felt like two hours and 40 minutes um even when i was reading it afterwards and being like oh the original cut was three hours and like he wishes that he could have added more i think once the company got distributed said that they added a million dollars worth of cgi that was like after they did cut down yeah he had to do like 750 additional shots to finish it and and i just can't even imagine i don't think it was a masterpiece i think that i recognize it, it, it as being ambitious it it just falls short and i feel like if you're going for something that ambitious and like 80% of people say that it doesn't make sense or you didn't hit your mark or anything like that. You can't blame it on the people then. Show people a square and be like, you don't get that. It's a circle. And then just get angry and huff and puff. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's kind of anytime an ambitious movie fails in gen- in general release, um, th- you're always going to find people that are flocked to it because some the, sometimes just being an idiosyncratic movie is enough for people to go, hey, this is different and this is, you know, not something I see every day. So I, I get that. That's always going to be the case for any movie that doesn't fit a certain mold. Sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> but it is funny. So I, I didn't know where we were going to be at in this movie. I think I'm probably more positive 
than both of you guys, but rewatching it. So here, here's when I first saw it, I saw it from when it first came out. I was 23. Um, I was a huge fan of Donnie Darko. Um, as I think we all were at the time. Yeah. Anybody that was watching any movies at the time thought he was going to be the next Wachowski's. Like, I don't know what the, the corollary is. Like, even at Tarantino, like, we thought he was going to make, like, David Lynchian sort yeah. of weird sci fi horror movies or for forever. Or even, like, a Refn or somebody like yeah. that with, like, yeah. a very specific style. Yeah, and and Richard and Donnie Dark was actually like I, I talked about this recently with someone is like the movie that I um, least want to rewatch because it was it was one of my it came out my freshman year in college and when <laughs> when and and everyone you know I I was I was the movie guy and I'm like oh my this this was kind of one of my holy shit you need to see this movie movies and uh, and everyone loved it and I you know so I probably watched it like thirty times in a in like a two three year time span. Uh, in college and so yeah when this was coming out it was like even though i had read that it did not get the best reviews uh and it got booed out of the con film festival you know i was like this is still gonna be for me uh and i really so i watched it and i really remember not caring for it all that much uh some stuff was kind of interesting some stuff was kind of funny of course you know 2006 i'm i'm assuming this was somewhat similar for you guys too it's like yeah he hates bush which is like enough to get you halfway there (laughs) Um, because, because like, that was like at the pure fever of like, I can't stand this monster. And it's like after Katrina, it's like, uh, this, this guy needs to go. So that, but, but I wasn't really enjoying it. So the last half hour though, and I still, uh, I still stand by this. We can, it happened again this time. I think the last half hour is kind of for the most part, like perfect. I think it's weird. It's insane. It has a lot of great music and imagery and all that stuff that you liked about Donnie Darko. I feel like is is very present more than the rest of the movie. Uh, well, not just more than the rest of the movie. Like that's all of a sudden where it like clicks into the the good Richard Kelly. And that last half hour, I think, is is fantastic. Uh, but I think so when when I saw it just the one time, I think that tricked me. I think sometimes a really good ending or a really good ending stretch can confuse you. And so you're like, man, I really wasn't enjoying that. But now all I've been thinking about for the last few weeks is the scene where the ice cream truck is rising up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. yeah, maybe this is really, really good. I what bought it and I've never walked away with. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I walked away with. And I bought the movie and I've been like, it probably is uh, has been you know if I if I were to list out a top ten movies that every time I see it in my DVD collection or scroll through it on Netflix I'm like fuck yeah I gotta watch that movie again that was so good um, it had really improved based on how much it had stayed with me and how good the last half hour was and rewatching it again it was the same thing it was like why did I think this was a fucking masterpiece. Um, there's, you know, there's some good parts and there was even parts that I remember loving, like the Justin Timberlake, uh, lip sync scene that did not work for me as well this time. (laughs) And, and, but then it kind of got to that point where they're on the blimp and, um, he meets, uh, Kevin Smith in old man makeup. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I feel like a lot of the weirdness and a lot of the visuals really starts to come together. And again, I was like, oh, okay, like I, finally after an hour and 50 minutes, my interest was like full. I was fully engaged. Every, everything was firing on, on cylinders. But when I left it this time, I wasn't as tricked because it was like I had not just the memory of how the movie ends and the feeling, 
um, that that it left me with, but also the the memory that even knowing how it ends and all the good stuff doesn't excuse how what a fucking mess that first hour and forty five minutes is. Not yeah. without good scenes, but yeah, um, or moments, I would even say. But it but it has it has some serious serious problems. So I was wondering if this was going to be an effusive praise episode even before I rewatched it and I think it's going to be more of a dune episode where we're we're going to make absolutely no one happy cuz I don't think this is a disaster that some people make it out to be but I definitely don't think it's a secret masterpiece. And I would actually I and it's and I don't know if you guys have seen the box, but I would actually say that the box which I have seen more than once and I loved it from beginning to end the first time I saw it. I think that that is Richard Kelly's secret masterpiece. I think this is over ambitious and he he tried to he, he tried to do too much. Like they gave him, they're like, here's here's a ton of money, here's this cast, you have the freedom to do what you want, and you get kind of, you know, wide eyes and are like, This may be the only time I get to do this. I'm gonna tell every story, and that's what he tried to do. You know, um, when you when you talk about the box, I haven't seen it yet somehow, despite the fact that I love Frank Langella. And I uh, love the original Richard Matheson story that it's based off of. Um, do you know if Richard Kelly had any role in writing that? Oh, like, yeah. No, he wrote it. it. It goes some very bizarre places that have nothing to do with the original story. I feel like he does try to do everything at once. Like when you see the box and um, Ryan, I don't know if you've seen the box, but that may be a good reunion show for the three of us. Um, if you haven't seen it either or if you have. No, um, but that could be a, that could be a good one to see what you guys think about that after we're done with Southland Tales, because I feel like that one is as untethered. And gets as crazy as as Southland Tales, but here's the important difference, and I think this could be said of Donnie Darko too. He starts at a place of recognition, like you you are not you are not scrambling to catch up from the word go. So when he goes to more fantastical places, he's taking you there step by step. Yeah, and you start in like a very stable spot. Eventually, gets crazy, and then the other thing that I think Donnie Darko. And the box had that Southland's Tales doesn't is it's its focus is small to begin with. In the box, it's focused on Frank Lagella who gives the box, and it, it's Cameron Diaz and James, you know, the James Martin, the couple. And yeah, and and uh, and Donnie Darko's focused on Donnie and his family and his couple of friends. When you have this sprawling like Nashville version of um, of of that vision, and you don't start from any, you start in the middle of a puzzle. Um, that you you're trying to keep up with, it just it doesn't work. No, I don't think it worked very well. Um, I mean, overall, I'm more interested. I, I do want to see the box. Um, I would say, especially after watching Southland Tales, only because it was received more positive. Um, but I was telling Peter that the director like considers this his proudest achievement and. Like in multiple interviews, because then I was just reading up on it after I watched the movie, and I was very surprised at that. That he, he just considered, like he even considered it unfinished to some degree. But I mean, even if you want to say overly ambitious, the whole the movie is ambitious, but it was also it had three graphic novels leading into it, which is why it starts at chapter four, and then they had a whole interactive website on top of it. I mean, if that's not crazy level ambitious i don't know what is i mean that's insane yeah i that's also something you have to say 
Death of the Artist too, because Richard Kelly is somebody who went back to Donnie Darko and made a director's cut. And that everyone that fucking hates. Everybody <laughs> hates it. And I've seen both cuts actually. I don't think I've seen the director's cut. The director's cut is really bad. I've only not watched seen the it. theatrical cut of Donnie Darko, but it's it's a thing where Richard Kelly, like a lot of artists, doesn't really understand his own appeal in certain ways. So like for him saying Southland Tales is his best work just means that he's like a lot of artists to me. Like he just lacks sort of self-awareness. And the fact that he decided to do this graphic novel um, sort of uh, tie-in multimedia experience, which has been done before, um, or it's been done at least recently. I'm thinking of the, the, the sci-fi TV show Defiance, where there's a video game that ties into a show and then there yeah, might even be a comic book or popular. something else. <laughs> yeah, nobody liked either the show or the movie, so they both kind of crapped out. But um, both of those make me weary, like right from the start, the concept of having a graphic novel that ties into a movie, because to me, that feels like it goes against my core concept of what movies should be. And I think movies should be like these sovereign units that you can understand. If you have any understanding about movies work, you can understand how the movie works um, in and of itself without doing any homework. Like, even sequels. Like, I think Aliens works if you haven't seen Alien. I think Terminator yeah. 2 works if you haven't seen Terminator. You're not going to get 100% out of it. Like, you're not going to totally understand it, but you're going to get the, the, the broad strokes. Um, I have no idea if the graphic novel elucidates what's going on here. I've, but, heard, it, I've heard it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. Um, I did. I mean, I originally i tried to look to see if there is because i really just watched it last night and it ended about close to midnight and so today while i was working i was trying to see if i could just get any hands on any kind of copy of it real quick and so instead i defaulted to the wikipedia um summaries of all three and it really doesn't i mean it's pretty much if you wanted to guess what happens you're probably right i mean it's Dwayne the rock johnson's character wakes up in the desert and it, it makes the uh, what's her name the what now what's the porn star's name oh just Sarah Krista now or something yeah Sarah yeah. Michelle Geller's character is a little bit more important she is like in on it a little bit more and she's got some levels of being like psychic and stuff which is absurd <laughs> yeah they kind of they kind of mentioned that on one of her TV shows where she's like I'm psychic by the way and you're like who yeah. gives a shit <laughs> stop <laughs> throwing stuff at me yeah um, oh, star of Coxmasher three, and you're just like, all right, whatever. And, <laughs> hey, and you psychic. just assume it's you just assume it's like in Mean <laughs> Girls Cock when Chugger, sorry. yeah, Cockchugger three. You assume it's like in Mean Girls when um, this girl Amanda Seyfried says like my boobs can say when it's raining. Yeah, or my nipples say when it's weather, raining. Yeah. You assume it's just something like that. You're like, she's a dumb sort of bimbo type character. So why would yeah, why would she have any special knowledge? But, yeah, yeah, apparently, um, apparently she did. In a comic book series that none of us read or probably will read. Nope. No. Uh, yeah, and you know, when, when it comes to the Richard Kelly thing about that he, he talks about this one being his favorite. First, I can see that because he, you know, his first movie, he didn't have the same budget, he didn't have the same freedom. And then he goes and makes Southland Tales and, you know, the next time they're not giving him the same budget or the same freedom again. Uh, although it does feel like they gave him a lot of freedom on both of those other movies. So I can see like this one being the 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 movie that he's like looks back on and like, you know, uh, like Orson Welles in the scene in Ed Wood was like, you know, the way he talks about Citizen Kane. Now, that happens to be a great movie, but I can see Richard Kelly being like the one they let me do whatever I want on 
No, True. Southland Tales. That that was my baby. That was the I masterpiece. Had, I had budget and free range. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is that sometimes, like, if you have three kids and one of them is really fucking dumb, uh, you're probably going to talk more about his intelligence to make him feel better than <laughs> yeah. the other two that everyone thinks are fine. Like they don't yeah. need to be reassured. So you have to put um, more work into it. You have to put more uh, more emotions and more more effort into the job. So all of a sudden, it sticks out in your mind more. And he actually references movies as kids in multiple in the interviews. <laughs> He feels like a child, like, yep. unfinished, but also you have to let it go at any point. I'm going to be an awesome parent. I mean, I am a yeah. parent, but I just had the one, so I have nothing to, to compare them to at this point. I imagine um, you making eye contact with, you with your daughter in between, like, you're going to make a great film someday. And she's like, what? You <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll find out. Um, and then the the other, the other point, though, that you, that you guys Scott. mentioned is, is the fact that it starts with part four first. Like, I really like Richard Kelly, but the balls on this guy to make his second movie start with a part four. I don't care about the tie-in series, but, like, the only other movie I can think of that starts as part four is fucking Star Wars. And that was a gimmick. Like, you didn't need to, like, oh, it's part four. Ah, ha, ha. It gives you the sense of, like, yeah, it gives you the sense that it's a bigger universe and stuff has happened before or after. But the story is still self-contained in Star Wars for the most yeah. part. It just expands the feeling that it's bigger and it works mm-hmm. really well at doing that, even though it was added later. This is, like, this is a part four and you better read those first three because we are never going to pause and let <laughs> you know what the hell is going on. Like, don't. There's, there's a difference between, like, having a sense of, like, Lynchian mystery to the proceedings and not spelling everything out. And there's a there's a difference between being, like, ridiculously arrogant in your no. in your in your personal vision and and starting this at part four is and still making it two and still making it two and a half hours long and still making half of that feel cuttable feels like maybe maybe take out half of these characters Take whatever interesting information you thought was necessary in parts one, two, and three, and and make a better movie. I honestly think that if you brought in like a professional editor and gave them every single bit of footage, you can make a better movie out of what the current pieces were, because I think they gave him too much power. Like the whole uh, Amy Poehler and guy from The Wire. Oh my uh, trying God. to fake yeah. a a uh, police killing section of the movie. Oh, but that part made me. It was the only part they left out loud. That is true because Amy Poehler's funny no matter what she no, does. No, it was just when she the shouted poetry at him. No, yeah, and then he just pulls out a gun and shoots her. <laughs> I, just, I just laughed, <laughs> just like lit out like a solid like ha, ha God. It's like oh, they're just funny. Yeah, like, f- that scene made me laugh too, but it was because of the squibs. The way that the when afterwards. the guy the guy heard the gunshots, he was still firing off the yeah, squibs so to make body. it seem real. Yeah, so, that was great. So I have a I have a broader comment about the movie and why it doesn't work, and that's it's kind of reminds me of Dune in the sense that it both because of its ambitions. Because Dune is also a movie that they handed out a pamphlet before the movie to like let people know who the different classes were and shit like it was game of thrones i like um, the idea that the pamphlet just said please leave now <laughs> <laughs> please for the love of god which is like takashi mika hands out barf bags before his movies yeah. but uh david lynch had to hand out a fucking primer um which is so funny compared to every other david lynch movie like every other david lynch movie like if you've had dreams before you can kind of get yeah if you if you had a nightmare before you can get a racer head you can anybody can understand a razor head, but this movie it's like 
it's so arch, but it's not funny in most regards. I think 90% of the movie has a scene with a joke in it that doesn't land. Yeah. And there's just like, there's, I think there's like maybe three jokes in the movie that made me laugh. And you are, and this movie pulled from SNL alums, Mad TV alums. It, it had just like a stacked cast of comedians. John Larroquette show alums. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even when you think about like Dwayne Rock Johnson as a character. He's so funny um, in real life, I'm but he's not funny in the, sh- in the movie. Uh, uh, Sean Williams, what's his name? Sean, Sean Williams Scott. Sean Williams Scott. He's definitely like a. Okay comedian overall more than anything else um so the cast has okay so i I have a little list here the rock bailing sherry o'terry will sasso sean william scott justin timberlake uh manny moore john lovitz amy poehler nora dunn these are all kevin smith janine garofalo yeah now i mean once it was actually cut these are all wallace sean these are all people who um, are hilarious in in other projects. Like they're so so funny, and I think that they were partially brought on. Like I know he says like he wanted to bring on people that have been sort of uh, ignored, and he thought that he can maybe get another angle on, which is yeah. a super noble thing. He wanted to do a Quentin Tarantino thing. Sure, he saw Pulp Fiction. And he was like, I want to raise some characters' profiles with this movie that's surely going to succeed, um, and. Uh, it's a movie is aggressively unfunny. Like if you can't get Amy Poehler to be consistently funny in your movie, your movie must be a real dog. Because Amy Poehler is the funniest fucking person on the planet. Yeah. And here's the other thing. You, it's not just that there's too many characters and it's not just that there's too many plot threads and it's, and that he doesn't feel a need to, give most of them the you know he spends a lot of time like you said on dumb jokes and 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 little comments and asides when he could be in, in some ways edifying the rest of the audience of what the fuck is going on so that we can latch on to something and enjoy the movie beyond all that i think his other biggest misstep is he's trying to make it too hip too futury, too focused on slang and weird hairstyles that, first of all, is two years in the fucking future. And second of all, it's it's too much Chotskys. It's too much. It's like going to a TGI Fridays and like trying to pay attention to uh, the vests when there's, you know, 30 pieces of flair on there. Like the actual interesting weirdness gets lost in like this clangy, cluttered version of I need to show how much things have changed in two years in this alternate uh, reality where you eliminate all that and the because the movie just I think part of the reason I like the last half hour um, is it gets so much cleaner everyone's wearing suits <laughs> it stops trying every, to explain yeah. shit to you <laughs> yeah it stops trying to explain stuff it gets it it gets uh, less focused on all the weird like like you said like there's that there's you know Sarah Michelle Geller Sarah Michelle Geller's character has that TV show and she's talking about being psychic and cock chuggers um three or whatever and it's just like you know it's while there's other scenes going on uh in the foreground it's like you know it's too much and i think the perfect so i think i have a perfect microcosm that we can talk about about why this a scene that like kind of explains why the movie doesn't work so there's that scene where the rock is at the beach and he's doing that great like freak out thing and justin timberlake um has his has a sniper rifle trained on the rock to protect him 
Yeah, or to see what's going like, on. I'll suck your dick. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, see, so that's my problem. It's like, so that's an engaging scene. Here you have this person who's lost on the beach. He has amnesia, and Justin Timberlake is finally in the movie. The music is really good. It's shot really well. And Moby did the music. Moby, yep. And then all of a sudden, you have this lady who you've seen working at this desk at this evil intelligence office, and comes and goes. I'm going to give you this mission. And he thinks he's he he's, he thinks he's kind of a person in his own screenplay, and so he's like, "I'm going to do this mission." All of that is really interesting. It's like, okay, here's this person who's, who kind of is buying into this script. This this fantastical version of stuff. You have this this crazy weird future where there's uh, these giant snipers on the beach that patrol everything that's going on. You have someone who's like engaging in the mystery to bring about this apocalypse version. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she starts yelling, um, starts saying, I need you. I, I need to suck your dick right now. I need to suck your dick right now that's and now that scene is first of all that is the worst version of childish humor i don't know who that's for this movie is full of that shit like that just saying bad words is funny and then so we're talking about how bad the comedy is sorry to interrupt there's a person that literally gets shot and then falls on a giant toilet yeah yeah Yeah. sorry continue but i needed to if we list those there's so there's it's it's it is like a five-year-old who learned the word fuck and it's like, you're not using it right. Please stop. You've ruined Absolutely. it. Yeah. Um, Please. But, I, I'm sorry I interrupted, but I needed to get that out because it is so frustrating. Yeah. And, and that movie's full of that. But, like, that's a perfect example. That was one of the most engaging scenes in the movie. And instead of letting it play out and, and actually picking up the interesting threads, he decides to make the worst 13-year-old boy fantasy joke where all of a sudden the woman really wants to suck his dick and is going to kill him herself if he did. Like, yeah. Wh- how much better does that is that scene if then The Rock just leaves and goes about this mission based on a screenplay that he is now kind of half convinced he's the character in the screenplay and he has these missions to go on instead of ending in a dumb male fantasy dick joke that then the person gets shot and then he doesn't know what to do and he just leaves. Oh, like yeah. instead he could put on be put on a crazy person's mission and think that it's like the noblest task that he's been meant for. Yeah. And it's just like a woman shouting it at him and he does that. That could be very interesting. Yeah, and instead they go for a terrible joke. It, but and, and I think that's why that scene works as such a good microcosm because it's 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 taking a bunch of potentially interesting things and ruining it with aggressively uh, loud or unfunny items. I will say there was one joke that since I watched it back to back that I did note that I thought was kind of hilarious which was uh, one of the porn stars when she was talking about the morning after pill. I mean it's not like brilliant. It's stupid but stupid enough where it was funny. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, about flying over the country yeah, and then she crosses a time zone and takes the birth control pill. Yeah, so she the... has sex and <laughs> crosses time zones then crosses again and then it's the morning before pill or something and she just goes Oh my god, that's like brilliant, but like to me, it's, just it's like, that, so legitimately that, earnest and sincere that I couldn't tell whether it was because it was surrounded by so many toilet jokes, so many sixty nine, so many like that kind of stuff. That for some reason that did stick out to me. Like, oh, that was kind of a crafted <laughs> joke. Um, Clocks right thing, twice a day type thing. Um, absolutely, I, I think it also speaks poorly of like if you guys remember Donnie Darko. 
Donnie Darko and the Box don't have much attempts at comedy, which I think is, as we found out with Southland Tales, is to the extreme Beneficial. benefit of those movies. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. yeah. But but remember, remember there's that scene in Donnie Darko where Jake Gyllenhaal is, like, talking about uh, that they, you know, got the girl smurfing so that everyone could have sex with her, stuff like that. And, and you don't notice in that movie because you're like, well, this is, this is the idea of a high school character's version of what he finds funny so yeah it's kind of stupid and cringe inducing that he's telling these this story of why the how the smurfs fuck and why there's this i forget the whatever the the girl smurf's name is but it's like that's the type of dumb cringy thing that high schoolers talk about watching southland tales it's like no that's richard kelly actually thinks that shit's funny yes i i completely agree well the only other thing that i thought was interesting from the wikipedia whatever was uh, so when they you got are... you got to you got to fancy up your research, Ryan. You can't say Wikipedia. Say like from your <laughs> from your extensive studying of documents at the library. So after, so, so after my multiple, you know, the, the third or fourth time into the graphic novels, I, I did think it was super interesting that <laughs> it does seem like a dumb joke, but I don't think it was. Was they do a similar Back to the Future? You know, you hit eighty eight miles per hour. So in this one, you hit, uh, they had to hit 69, which I understand that proposition 69, they make a very clear joke where they're like, and all the only thing Sarah Michelle Geller knew was one thing, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in the, the actual context, that makes vague sense because each time it's doubled, it doubled The Rock and it doubled um, Sean William Scott. William Scott, Sean William Scott. And uh, so like that almost makes sense outside of being a terrible 69 ha ha joke <laughs> so like that i kind of was like oh i wish that they had thrown that in there somewhere in the movie or something to just give some reason because there were so many like the poop deck restaurant oh, and yeah. like you said the guy who was killed in the toilet also eli roth killed on the toilet just before that yeah yeah Completely you can have two toilet jokes in 30 seconds to do that um the other weird thing that i thought was funny was the dumpster that uh, Sean William Scott falls into has a big spray paint rock on the front of it. And so I paused it and on the side it says do and D-O-O. So I think that's a Scooby-Doo, the rock, where it's supposed to be like, because that's who they used to be. Like, we're throwing those in the trash type thing. And so I paused it, hoping there'd be more, like American Pie or something. And I couldn't figure, I couldn't read any of the other graffiti. And I was just like, that's a little on the nose. Like, all right, God. all right. It I mean, knowing like, him, it probably was supposed to be like just doo doo rock. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Wait, hold on. One, qu- one quick question: Is UPU two supposed to be some sort of up U two? Yeah, I'm not gonna remember because all I remember was thinking up U two because there was up U three. There was a different division. Also, yeah, it was also like, the midgets. The midget SWAT member seemed silly. I was like, is this an immature joke that even I don't get? It's like, is this a reference to peeing? Is this a reference to up yours? Like, I, the UPU2 thing, I was like, this is definitely a joke, because otherwise they would just have police on the front as well. I think it was just supposed to be like, yeah, up that's U2. a lot of work forever. What dumb joke that is. Like, so they can't wear police. And it's also another confusing thing, because I'm sorry, there's way too many times in this movie where, you know what, when you write a fucking movie, in that, that premieres in 2006 that is the future of 2008 you you have to either make it close to 2006 you the world didn't turn to i don't care if there was a fucking nuclear blast in in texas everyone didn't all 
come up with new hairstyles no one's seen ever before yeah. in the in the intervening yeah. two years. Like, and the police didn't change their name, and like it's there. Yeah, we countries didn't divide. Yeah, I mean, just to like, no, be like, like we're the upper whatever it was. Yeah, upper Pacific something. Was yeah, was. I hate I hate complaining about that stuff in movies, but two years is really fast, and I think it's it it was misguided by. A really understandable liberal hatred of George W. Bush, who was a very hateable pre- president, like, then. Now he seems kind of like a lovable doof, like a Mr. Magoo president, compared to, like, Donald Trump and Rick Santorum and the other presidential candidates that we've had thrown in front of us. But at the time, like, George W. Bush was very, very hateable, and I get it, like, War Inc. and Southland Tales and just like Lord of War. Like I get these movies that like just really want to tell you that George Bush is a dumb asshole. But like at least take your joke to the next level rather than just like George Bush is going to ruin this nation specifically. Like at least talk about like at least talk about like populist movements that were founded after George Bush, like, or find, like, the, the fact, like, it, I hate idiocracy, but at least idiocracy was expanding. This gave me a big feeling of idiocracy. Yeah. Too, for some reason, I agree. I, I, I think I think it's the same garish design. There's too fucking yeah. much going on in both of those movies. The mid two, yes. That mid-2000s, like, CGI will fix everything. Everything looks like a fucking toy kind of CGI. And I think that um, both those movies come the come from similar places but i think at least idiocracy came from mike judge who was like a pretty smart dude and just got really caught up in sort of like elitist politics uh when he made idiocracy like you just hated bush like that's yeah and i kind of get it because you know it's not a movie everybody hates bush yeah and and richard kelly is probably you know just a few years older than me like i there was a sense as, as ridiculous as it seems going back but there was a feeling of like the that our country was gonna like slip into a dystopia, like between the Patriot Act and you know the, he didn't handle nine eleven well. No, and then the hurricane Hurricane Katrina and things really started to fall apart for him. You know, it was kind of that lame duck presidency where he barely won. But I, I remember that you know it, it coincided with me you know becoming an adult and becoming political, and there was that sense of like. This this guy is like this unknowable evil who, with his cronies, are going to, you know, destroy our country. Which, um, which obviously, you know, he d- committed a lot of crimes and is correctly uh, thought of as a terrible president. I don't know. Set it in twenty twenty five, and like, this is where things kept going down this path after a nuclear explosion like there's just a way to make this not silly and i remember it feeling silly in 2006 it especially feels silly now especially when it's like clinton 2008 presidential candidate it was funny because my notes started off more serious just in in the sense that i wanted to get more out of the film until you know i got 45 minutes in and then i I was just, I was still taking notes, but they were very different. And so at the beginning, I do, I do think it was interesting, the concept of like, obviously there are certain straws that break the camel back of either it was like a Pearl Harbor or the 9-11. And so they're essentially trying to say, you know, what, what would be the internet's version of that? And 
the only thing that I thought was interesting watching this now rather than if I had watched it in 2007 or 2006 was that they do have those specific bills like, what is it, CISPA, and then there's like one other one. But really, that would be the same idea of trying to get into something and then they need one big event. So after that, it does feel kind of interesting. It's literally the intro like paragraph to the movie in a sense. And it's just like, Oh yeah, I guess that would make sense. Like you would need some weird internet based, like sneak in bomb. Yeah. Then the government would take over the internet. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Like I would be on board and that seems to apply. Then after that, it is two and a half hours of nonsense. I I agree with Ryan on the base level of like, those opening segments where they're just throwing you into the war in terms of plot clumsiness are just as bad as the elements that open up Dune and Zardoz where it's just like a narrator just yelling at you. But in terms of actual like emotional effect on an audience, I find it really elegant because I think Justin Timberlake is one of the best narrators I've ever heard in a movie. I that's, think he's that's so funny that you said that. I my have a note that I was I was going to segue into what you were talking about. I think he's one of the worst narrators I've ever heard. I love him in this. He had to redub it all. He did. Yeah, originally Richard Kelly had him do it really sarcastically as a narrator. I like he it wasn't this way. He, he wasn't doing it sarcastically. <laughs> no, he was apparently really sarcastic, and he said that he wanted to go more for more of a, a deadpan apocalypse now, and so yeah. he had to come in and redub it all. I love it because it reminds me of okay. So what I'll say about those opening segments. So it's uh, like Ryan kind of was just saying that's a, a computer screen with these elements popping up, very Starship Troopers, where it's kind of like letting you into the propaganda of the era and there's a very opinionated voice telling you the 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 future and i love justin timberlake's voice yeah yeah pilot abilene mm-hmm. um which is a terrible name everybody in this movie has terrible all names. the names in this movie are as terrible as the humor including like liquid karma like this was like the <laughs> the thing that roger ebert used to talk about like stop trying to do clever names um and again I think that fits in the whole, like, everything is so goddamn distracting. Everyone's yes. clothes, everyone's hair, everyone's cars. Everything yeah. is so fucking goddamn distracting, even their goddamn names. But I think that Justin Timberlake's performance, is, his vocal performance, is wonderful in this movie. And I think that my biggest problem with this movie is, okay, so it doesn't work on a comedy level. So, in my head, I think, okay, it doesn't work on a comedy level. So, this kind of feels like a grown-ups or something. Like, you know, a, or a zookeeper, like a... A Adam Sandler comedy that you can't laugh at. Like, it kind of gives you that same level of detachment from it. But it doesn't have a David Lynch sort of um, ethereal, um, surreal weirdness that makes it charming. It doesn't have that. And it's not creepy like Donnie Darko or The Box, or I assume The Box is. So it doesn't have even that to go on. So it doesn't really have a tone. I agree, but also David Lynch, I feel like, gives you that... That sense that you're grasping, but you want to be grasping. It's not because you're grasping because you're trying, like you're trying not to fall. You're grasping because you want to reach the top so you can see what the fuck is happening. Like, think I'm mean, thinking about like Blue Velvet or Twin Peaks or anything like that. Like that, that is the perfect kind of fuel. Weirdness is fueling you to try and like keep climbing to be like, what else is happening? Not I'm drowning. I'm trying to get any sort of footing. Like this is the this movie. I think is a perfect example of I started off drowning. 
and at some point even like the best case scenario trying to find like real like real reasons to like it i'm i was still like hopeless knowing i was going to die like you're like it's just it felt like a lost cause only yeah, two hours in and i still had 40 minutes locked in my seat just yeah. being like this is happening yeah if the movie's pushing back too hard there is a difference between this is a mystery i'm engaged with because everything else like David Lynch, like you said, obviously besides the fact that he is a big influence on Richard Kelly. Yes. Uh, be- beyond that, it's like David Lynch is such such a good fucking director and so good at setting up shots and creating visuals and, again, not crowding the scene with everything that he can be a little – he can be a little vague or really vague or whatever it is and – you're going to be like, look, I, everything I'm watching is working for me, so I don't know where this stream's going, but I'm willing to follow it. This yeah. feels like you don't know where the stream's going. At some point, you don't care, and your boat popped halfway through, and now you don't even have a way to travel <laughs> that's not recklessly inconvenient. And you're like, why am I even still swimming down this stream? Because... I don't give a shit where it ends up. Aaron, I think that was Aaron. I think that was the, one of the better uh, improvised metaphors we've had on the show. Usually they're pretty clumsy. I liked that one. I mean, that was that it feels good to get that compliment, but you also insulted 22 episodes worth of metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that hurts. Um, But I'm glad I finally made you proud, dad. (laughs) I also did get a nice little, cheer just because i really didn't i was not a fan overall of this movie that he noted certain influences which were you know david lynch pulp fiction dr strange love which was a big one with the suvs uh brazil um, too and then brazil was the one that i thought was super funny just because it's up there for peter's favorite movies and it's like oh it's this was like an influence brazil is like oh i want to make my my brazil and this is what happened so and it's like oh okay my brazil my starship troopers my pulp fiction yes. all this into one fucking weird la chronicle that also tap tops off with like stranger days tops off with an la riots thing and it it's it's very strange so yeah it just to, to jump back a little bit it's trying to do a Starship Troopers thing early on with this propaganda, and it tries to catch you up, and I think it's somewhat elegant at first. It's somewhat elegant about doing a very unnatural plot movement, which is, we're going to catch you up in this weird, strange future, and even if you can get over the fact that, apparently we can't, but apparently even if you can get over the fact that it's only two years in the future or whatever... I can get over it. It's just a, it's another terrible decision. They're going to throw eight more plot threads at you after that that you have to follow throughout the whole movie. And then the plot threads don't really lead up to any. Like, well, it's, it's, when they co- dro- it's when they drop them that it gets good. Like I said, the last half hour, it's not that they it's not they all converge. It's that all of a sudden half of them, they just decide they're done with. And then yeah. it focuses on probably what they should have been focusing on at the beginning. I wouldn't even say the last half hour. I mean – it does get better. It does. It gets better, but I think compared, it compared to the rest of it, you want to say like, oh, now it's good, but really the rest of it seems so distorted. It will just like 
I don't know, more just wandering. And then all of a sudden it has that Donnie Darko flavor. Like the ice cream truck, even the crash scene with uh, Sean William Scott and Sean William Scott's double. The dance the dance scene is super weird and awesome, too, where they're both dancing with the rock. And, and the, the music that's playing. Yes. Yeah, and the blimp. And the, blimp. Yeah. And, and the way everyone's reacting to everything in the blimp. I even think the, the, the finally a little bit of explanation for why the rock is there and why there's two Sean William Scott's. I, I actually that like even again re-engage me into the movie. It's it's a because it's interesting enough to build a better movie around. I think so. I, I'll, I'll say before before we seem like we're just shitting on this movie, and maybe you two are because you're bad people and like to shit on things to feel better about yourselves. We're um, bad bad men. Isn't it weird that we're the positive podcast and we're going to have? A f- yeah, well, that's why I kind of want to say. So I actually do come down as positive in this movie, but I think it's easier to we, we can talk about some stuff I really like about it. But I think it's easier to talk about the stuff that's negative because it's so fucking frustrating. It's it's legitimately bothers me because I think I think it sucks that Richard Kelly, I think he has a singular wonderful vision that I think he's and he's only made 3 movies in the last 15 years. He has nothing that I can see lined up anywhere. As far as I know, no. he'll never make another movie. And I think that this movie with some severe changes could have been a masterpiece because I think the skeleton's all there. It's all the flabby, terrible, scarred, gross flesh. But I think, like I said, I think I still lean positively on this movie because there's so many interesting elements. It's just every element is done poorly. Can I, before we we transition into the more positive elements, can I kind of like wring out a towel for this movie? Like kind of... Yeah, first off, great metaphor and go for it. (laughs) The way that I feel about this movie is that it doesn't work as a comedy and it's not creepy to me despite the fact that it's an end of days chronicle and it lacks any sense of humanity in a lot of the performances and they, these are actors that I think gave really great performances before or after this movie. So I can, I can blame uh, Richard Kelly on this. Uh, I mean, the the plot incomprehensibility is something I could have gotten over. Like the movie kind of feels like it was translated from Japanese and it was like supposed to be an anime. I could have gotten over the plot incomprehensibility if it it had well-framed, beautiful shots and it had some sort of emotional core. Like, like Akira is a movie that people love to, to like say is either the best movie, the best anime of all time or the worst anime like that ever got, you know, big in America. And uh, that's a movie that no matter what happens, I feel like an emotional core to it. It's not funny. It doesn't have any of that other stuff. It's hyper ambitious. It has a lot of plot movements. Um, but this movie kind of reminds me of that in the sense it doesn't have a uh, great way to tie all the loose ends together. But I felt a sense of humanity in Akira. And when it ends, I just I, I, it has a sort of um, sublimeness in its weirdness. I don't. I, I can't exactly explain what happened, but I felt what happened, and whether or not I can I can fully explain that to somebody doesn't really matter. I don't feel that with Southland Tales. I don't feel any sort of sublime weirdness with it. It sucks because I watched it and I was like very willing to accept it. And I really, like I said, I really liked Justin Timberlake in it. Like I really liked the core narrator of it. I like a lot of the actors involved. I, I like the core discipline of them hiring all these weird actors. Like, but it just doesn't, it doesn't exactly work for me. And I think that you're, you're, you're right. We should probably sort of talk about what are the um, promising 
seeds in this movie that could have made it a true masterpiece, but it's not. I think we're all on the same uh, the same page that this isn't some forgotten masterpiece. It's incredibly ambitious, and you have to pat Richard Kelly on the back for that. I mean, shooting for the stars. You really that this is a perfect example of that trying to take your budget and making the largest possible spectrum of a film to a fault. I would say to a degree, but but there were parts I liked. I'm the I didn't overall like the killers, Justin Timberlake. I got like the big Lebowski feel. I understood that, but at the very end of all of that, when the drugs start to wear off, his demeanor and change from that when he slows down, his face gets serious. That kind of stuff. It held some gravity. I mean, to the point where then you all of a sudden you see the chops. Where you're like, it makes sense that now Justin Timberlake does act and stuff still. Like, there there were some core elements. Same with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, where in the scene that you're talking about, where... So, hold on. Before we get to The Rock, I want to pause on the Justin Timberlake thing. Because yeah. that, was, that was one of my favorite scenes. And when I saw this back in 2006, I'm like, that and the ending was kind of like my the two things I thought back on this movie when I'm like, maybe that was a really good movie because these scenes are stuck in my brain. So I agree, though, that watching this time, I was like, I was super pumped for the Justin Timberlake. Uh, people talk about it positively. Like, even if you read bad reviews, like, that, that is a scene that is singled out positively. Uh, that scene was wildly underwhelming. <laughs> To me, so I think there's overall, I, overall, I think I there's a couple. Yeah, I think yeah, there's a couple I did reasons. Not like the so there's there's two things. One, uh, there is a big difference if it's uh, 2016 and you hate the Killers as opposed to <laughs> 2006 and you think I this think is one song. of the best bands that you've ever heard. And and uh, sure, and th- these guys are going to never stop making hits. So I think that's why it the, the song doesn't work as well, especially because I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier is so heavy-handed and frustrating all of a sudden now. I think it could have worked better if it was longer. I think that jumping right into the lip-singing with I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier, and then having it only be 45 seconds, I think makes it feel clunky and not interesting and just like, yeah, I get it. If they would have done the whole song and made this wild, weird music video in the middle of it... It's not weird enough. Exactly. Yeah, I disagree because it feels like it's just a music video in a film I'm watching. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. If it had been like a weird, wild, surreal trip and they do the whole song or do a whole different song, maybe even better. Yeah. And make it not just him just walking towards the camera, but just go full <sighs> Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, and do like a whole music video in the middle. Completely sort of thematic. Yeah. yeah, like a weird intermission. Like, um, like Holy Motor, where all of a sudden sequence. there's... He's- Yep, yeah. like that Holy Motor scene where all of a sudden there's the um, the violin breakdown in the middle. And yeah. you feel super energized going back into the second half. That's what I remember the scene being. It's not that. But I think they could have made it that. Yeah, it just doesn't come off that way. It comes off really lackluster. I, that was from start to end while I was watching it for the first time. It, it felt like I was waiting for it to end. If it wasn't just Justin Timberlake walking towards the screen the entire time, if they amped it up more and more, like taking each step and then larger steps... That could have been an interesting scene, but instead, it really did feel like they spliced just part of a Killers music video that happened to be on MTV promoting the film, like that kind of thing, where it was like, oh no, it's just like promoting the film, like when Britney Spears would do whatever song, and so it would have some of the actors in the film. It just felt like that, like randomly in the middle of the, the movie, 
I mean, it, it, it worked to a certain degree, but that was possibly my least favorite part, where it's just, I was waiting for it to end. Yeah. It's only I mean, 45 I, seconds. It's not long. So, I, I'm generally anti-musical, so don't take my bias into, into perspective here, because I really tried. I was like, okay, there's going to be a musical sequence in the middle of this movie. How fucking awesome is that? There's an apocalypse movie with Justin Timberlake telling this apocalypse log, which I love that, because it reminds me of... It reminds me of a lot of my favorite video games. Somebody's basically just being like, this is how shit went wrong, and I'm really bummed about it, but I need to tell somebody. Um, And then all of a sudden, he shows up in the movie, fucked up on these future drugs. I love future drugs in movies. One of my favorite things, I love Nuke from Robocop. Also drugs. Big fan of drugs, yeah. (laughs) I love Nuke from Robocop 2. I love Spank from GTA 3. Like, I love all these weird... I'm thinking of like Lonely Island when they're like, today's going to be a great day. We're like, I wanted that. I wanted some like weird concentrated like, oh, you're like hyped up on this shit. Yeah. This is your thing. So he takes this drug, right? It's a a dream sequence. And what pisses me off about this is that I was all ready for it to go crazy and that for Justin Timberlake to sing a big song. Number one, they didn't have Justin Timberlake, who is a much better singer than Brandon Flowers. Justin Timberlake, who has made some really amazing albums a decade later, like solo albums that I think are really respectable. And he's also showed himself as a really great actor. He doesn't get to sing in this weird music video section, which is so weird to me. And then on top of that, yeah, it doesn't go crazy. He does a bunch of like bullshit, which is like he flicks off the camera. I didn't like that. That felt improvised. And and him drinking two beers is like, you guys ran out of ideas in 45 seconds. How did you guys run out of ideas in 45 seconds? Like it's, it's, it's a sequence that pisses me off because I'm like, back in the day, we all thought the Killers were really cool. I still really like a lot of Killers albums. Everybody loved the Killers and then talked shit about them in like 2010. Yeah, yeah. Their, first, their first couple albums were fine. It was when yeah. Day and Age came out that it was like, this is garbage music. Yeah. What yeah, happened, they, guys? I really liked I really liked their first couple albums and then talked shit about them for a little bit. And then I came back and I was like, I kind of like the Killers. I like their earnestness. I, I think they have really cool guitar licks. Like, Yeah, they have some good songs. This is a particularly a song I don't like because I don't like any song where a white person says that they have soul. <laughs> what if they what if they follow that up with, with clarifying that uh, for their career, they do not work for any military branch? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Never enlisted. I'm a, I'm a direct dodger, but I've yeah. got soul. <laughs> yes, it's on the nose. Even if it wasn't on the nose, like the fact that it's the killer saying I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier, like over and over again, like... The way they abused the world ends with a whimper. Not a whimper, but a bang instead of not a bang, but a whimper. Just like, I get it. I kind of like like that. Uh, I mean, I was fine with it the first time I was on board the third time. And all of a sudden, it was like the sixth time. I was like, I get it. How come all these individual characters are saying it to each other? Yeah. But see, I like that. Like this weird, the kind of like half-hearted retelling of the Book of Revelation. Yeah. I like a lot of revelations about T.S. Eliot is what they said they were going for. I I think a lot of that is great. The problem is is that they don't commit to it as much as I think that they should have. But this – so, Peter, just to quickly go back to the killers, that's why I think that – I think it works better if they do the whole song. Because actually, I think the song and the beat and everything that kind of starts – at the beginning of the song kind of starts out really like slow and then gets faster and faster. And the crescendo of the song is I've got soul and I'm not a soldier, which is not, again, does not reflect well in general, even if you probably listen to the whole song uh, in 2016. 
but it reflects terribly when you start at the big emotional payoff part of the song that is this terribly clunky line. That's true. I kind of forgot. I, even when you said the full song, I did forget temporarily. Or <laughs> that is the breakdown in the last leg of the song. Yep. Yeah, it's, and it's like a six-minute song. Then and it's it like starts out sense. with no music, and he's just kind of telling this like half story. Like it, it's so clumsy when they started at the very end of the song, and it doesn't help that that line. If it does work, it only works because of build up. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. I got soul, but I'm not. Yeah, no, and that's and it like you said, it is weird to just start at the climax and then just try and hold it there. <laughs> You're like, okay, then what? Why do I care? It, yeah, it, it didn't. It wasn't building anything. There were a lot of things about this movie that I liked, um, and I think Peter and Ryan have at least a couple. Um, <laughs> even though I, th- I think it's easy to focus on the stuff that's frustrating because I really, I really think that this movie could have been, you know, if if Brazil was Richard Kelly's favorite movie, I think he had the ideas and I think he was thinking big enough to create that masterpiece and then really fucked it up, and so. That's a level of frustration that I think this filmmaker was talented enough to make that next Brazil, and I think he had a lot of pieces in place, and I think he just fell short. So it's more of the, look, I'm not mad. In general, your movie's fine and has a lot of cool stuff, but I am disappointed at how frustratingly abrasive it is to the audience at times. Um, But actually, before I get into the positive things, because I I do want to mention... One one line that was so so goddamn frustrating, which was when they the terrorist cell is called the neo Marxist underground, and when they first introduce it, they say the neo Marxist underground followers of Karl Marx. It's like you know what, fix your dialogue or trust your audience or something. Like <laughs> if people don't know who Marx is, why would they not you know, know what a Marxist is? The neo Karl Marxist underground followers <laughs> of Karl Marx, but underground. You're just like, oh, right, okay. Have you, heard, have you ever also, heard of socialism? That's what, that's what you fucking over-explain to your audience? Yeah, out of everything. Like, <laughs> um, anybody, so, yeah, anybody that was alive during the Cold War knows exactly who that is. Like, or, you know, took a history class some, sometime exactly. between grades 1 and 12. <laughs> like, they talk about communism a lot. Anyway, um, and the we rise of communism. The movie. I said that 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 part was so frustrating and like an example of a movie not knowing what to focus on. Anyways, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly go through some things that I really like about the uh, about the movie. Um, I like I like any movie that kind of takes place after the cataclysm that changes things. So many movies are about preventing a cataclysm and preventing a kind of sea change. Um, I like this movie. I really love the opening shot on the home movie footage of uh, the nuclear weapon going off. And that that segue into the news footage that I I do agree is pretty good, even if I think uh, Timberlake's narration is suspect. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of like any sort of of thing that kind of, hey, we're not going to we're not going to talk about uh, how the cataclysm happens. Uh, We're going to talk about um, what happens after that. Um, I think the mere delay scene where Sean William Scott is. is talking to himself in the mirror after he does the the, the drug liquid karma, and yeah. it's it starts off where it's just slightly off his movements to the mirror to the point that you wonder if 
uh, you're actually if they aren't matching up and your brain's doing something weird and then eventually gets that. more and more um, more and more uh, off kilter to the point that especially that part where uh, he it's it's also great because the mirror version of him is actually doing things first so there's that part where he puts the gun to his head in the mirror and then the real him puts the gun to his head so it's this weird it's 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 great yeah which also once you're done with the movie you realize that it's reflecting on his doubled self that kind of stuff yep and the fact that it's not um just a twin it's yeah it's verified (laughs) yeah it's verified that it's not a twin anymore which at the beginning of the movie i will admit that i i found it really clumsy which is here's the thing about twists they shouldn't feel clumsy while the movie is developing. But uh, once the movie was over, I was like, oh, that explains why both Boxer Santeros had a double and Sean William Scott had a literal double. Boxer Santeros was whatever. <laughs> he was technically the passenger. Jericho Kane or something. Jericho Kane. He was the passenger yeah. when Sean William Scott was sent back. Purposely as the soldier on Liquid Karma. Yeah, and I liked I liked that a, a whole lot. Um, I, I'm in general positive to some of the, a lot of the sci-fi touches in the movie. It's just I fe- I feel like some of the ways they expressed them were inelegant. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I liked the way that the, the I liked the reveal of the corpse as well. That uh, yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson's corpse. Though them topping it off with the uh, pimps don't commit suicide line is like so baffling because yeah. it's funny. It is funny. Like if the if the movie wanted to have a funny line after the the um, the commentary on suicide, like that worked. <laughs> um, yeah, I really I really like the line, but it it feels like there's something in the parts comic books one, two, and three that maybe I'm missing some context as to why that is like the climactic yeah, climactic line. But I really do like the line and I really I really like the delivery. I'm actually gonna say uh, I think this is the rock. I, I like the rock quite a bit, but I think this is his best performance. Oh, I completely disagree. Yeah, it's, it's good for me to say that to the end, so we don't have to talk about it. But <laughs> yes, um, I think well, I think it's really good. I think I love when he goes from being um, kind of this tough guy who seems a little clueless, but is like, I'm going to go solve this, and we're going to do this, and blah blah blah. And then the second that shooting happens, where people really die, he becomes this weird, nervous wreck, and then tries to put the action hero character back on. I think I I like the Rock in like the rundown. I don't think there's a movie I've seen the Rock in where he's not super charismatic. And extremely good at the role, but I but I think the stuff he does in this movie is excellent. Be cool is the the other half of this coin where he was like, people think I'm the the strongest dude in the world. I'm gonna have a couple roles where people think that I'm a total fucking nerd. Yeah, like a nice little mini afro, and he's yeah. like very scared about everything. Like, oh my god, that guy's dead. Yeah. What? Like I, I I don't like be cool, but I think even his performance in that was more nuanced in terms of like if we're talking about uh, roles that made The Rock have more diversity in his career and have him have more range in his career, I think be cool did it. But I did appreciate the fact that like so early in his career, The Rock was like, I'm going to do a role that kind of makes me into a wuss. Yeah, willing to do that. No, I completely agree. I thought that. 
he's not the action hero at all. No, and, and he, he can just shoot anybody, doesn't he? But I love that he's playing no. the. I've, I've never seen Be Cool, but I love that he's not just. He starts out as the action hero, becomes the nervous wreck, and then becomes something different where he's someone trying to pretend to be an action hero. And I think he plays all three of those perfectly. Right. No, no, I agree. I actually thought that was super interesting. Um, in the. So right near the beginning when The Rock is explained to Sean William Scott what the script is about, and even in the cruiser ride-along stuff, he feel he absolutely go back and watch if you feel like he does seem to be delivering lines Christopher Walken-esque. But like without the voice, obviously. So I had to I had to look it up and him and Sean William Scott uh, just came off the rundown. Like a year before, and I was like, okay, I figured this was prior, like that they had worked with him beforehand, because he really does. He's like, well, just picture this, and I'm just like, well, wait, this is like, like while I was watching, I was like, I was like, it feels like he's doing like walking, but not like in his version, and I think it's because he's supposed to be like amnesia brainwashed, so he like took that and tried to mold it to his own character. Obviously, that only lasts for whatever maybe a whole half hour of the beginning of the movie but but i do agree i like that you could you could pick up on the character changes the like one two and three that he had to do and did very successfully in a movie that was jarring in other like different aspects of it that seemed to be like slaps in the face that seemed to you know take the audience as understanding what was happening and just rolling with it yeah, or carrying the audience with you, like now I'm a different guy. Yeah, I really like that. There's a scene where he, what does he do? What does he do to Baylang? He like drops her on the Ooh, floor. Um, no, she goes. What's gonna happen if they shake hands? Yeah, no, she goes. What what happens if they shake hands? And he goes the 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 fourth fourth dimension the fourth dimensional collapse on itself. Bitch, and just like drops her, and like that part was another one that I actually laughed at. Where I was like, yeah. and I'm not usually one to laugh at. Where it's just like, ha, bitch. But he's just like, I mean, it had already turned to that, but it, that felt Donnie Darko esque. Where it's like, you don't understand everything that's at work. Yeah, like, this is, there's that extra timeline dimension that's like bleeding into what we're doing right now. Well, that's it also th- felt like he was faking the action hero star at that point, where he's like, he has yes. a beautiful woman, and is, is delivering catchphrases that... So, actually, maybe I'm going to go back on the whole, um, you know, pimps don't commit suicide. Like, that works as a as a catchphrase that's out of place. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, he's like, I'm going to be calm. Yeah, so, so I, you're winning me over on that, actually. Yeah, so yeah. I agree. Yeah, so that that actually works. Um, you know, if we keep talking, we might both, all three of us, love this movie. Because yeah. um, <laughs> no, even so John actually, Lovett's character, when he kills those two, uh, what's it, Sherry O'Terry says something where it's like, oh, ice cold line. Or like, oh, delivered great. So like, you get that little bubble, like, here's what an action character is supposed to say yeah. when he's doing murders. So like, you're like, all right, and, and The Rock was there for that. Well, and and that's that's such a great scene because that's what really sold me on the rock in general. I really like the rundown. I don't remember which one the I saw first, great. but there's that part where he comes in all macho and just yeah, we're gonna do this thing that he's been prepping for, and you're not even really sure what he's doing there besides just observing stuff for his movie role. And then once he realizes that those two people that were supposed to be fake dead or I guess he doesn't even realize that they're supposed to be fake dead or yeah. dead and starts doing like 
it's not just the hand thing, which I think is really good. His eyes, like his posture, like he he just knocks it out of the park. I wish there yeah. was a better structure around him for but I think the character itself and how he plays it is I think it's easy for someone like him who has natural charisma to play the charismatic action hero. I think it's hard to play someone who's faking that. It's the same way that like you it have to be to a really artificial. good act. Yeah, you, you have to be a really good actor to play someone who's not able to act well like when you watch like news radio and steven root is anytime he's on camera all of a sudden can't you know can't seem to say a line and gets really nervous and uncomfortable like the only way you can play that that convincingly is that you have to be an amazing actor because just all of a sudden not acting well yeah. doesn't work and That's the fact the next that the, level yeah because because steven root if you just did it like oh this is me on my first audition we would be uncomfortable and it wouldn't be mm-hmm. funny it's him playing a character who is on his first audition, which is like this whole level of like, for some reason, the, the performance gives him a level of protection, which allows you to laugh at him. Because if it was just a person on his first performance, you'd be yeah. like that. And then The Rock is the same way. The Rock is like, he, he's, he's not playing this cheesy action star just like by himself. He's playing it based off of. Well, just think think about how layered that is. Where he's playing, um, he's playing someone who at the beginning is playing an action star, but then by the end is playing someone who thinks he needs to play an action star, and there's a demonstrable difference. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that the, also not to be like triviaing out during all this, but what, I thought it was interesting that uh, the finger tapping that he does in that scene was like improvised and richard kelly liked it and just said no like keep doing it from here on just like do it (laughs) which is good in one scene no it comes up like at least two or three more i mean i think it comes up three times total something Mm -hmm. like that i thought it was interesting and then the other one was apparently for that scene they had to shut down a neighborhood that was not too happy about being shut down and was just like you know a very well-off neighborhood so when they run back after the shooting happens and he strips off his uh bulletproof vest and stuff Apparently, an old lady who lived in the house, like, directly in front of that, like, came out and told him, like, hey, you crackhead, get out of here, like, whatever. And the only thing that I thought was interesting was apparently Dwayne the Rock Johnson immediately went into, you know, like, the charismatic and you're like, oh, no, she's, like, very smooth. <laughs> I was like, ma'am, ma'am, what, what are you doing? Like, there's no need to – and, like, I just imagine him, like, freaking out and then all of a sudden just breaking down the meeting being like, what's happening, ma'am? Like, everything's okay. It's just – we're filming something. Don't worry about it. I think that's, I think <laughs> like, that's I why – that was very interesting. I think that, well, that's what makes him so lovable is his inherent decency where he's like – he could talk to anybody and you'd be like – I want him to tutor my children. And also, you wouldn't be ter- like I wouldn't be terribly upset with an actor in something like that where they're filming on a closed set trying to get something done. Well, not closed set, but like trying to get done on something they have a permit for. If somebody opened their door and started shouting at you to just walk away and be like, are you kidding me? Come on. Like, I was, we were almost done. But instead of just dropping character and just being, being immediately like, ma'am, I understand I'm in your neighborhood, but why are you yelling at me? I'm not a crackhead. It's yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. He's just so he's so good in every he's so good in every movie. I can't think of a single role that he has truly failed at. Yeah, it really brings the movie down. Yeah, yeah he's a, he's a natural talent, which is why I think the nuance that he portrays here is so is is why I think it's his best role. It's definitely not his best movie, but from an acting perspective, I think he just 
yeah, this is he nails it. If I want to say what what scenes I liked in the movie, the my favorite scenes will be scenes that I think hints at what movie it could have been. And there's a specific scene with Sherry O'Terry and Christopher Lambert uh, in the ice cream truck when she's buying blanks for the gun. And I think it's a great little scene that hints at what kind of movie it could have been where uh, she says... Um, he calls her something or other bitch. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, she says, the world would be a lot less violent if people got more cardio, which is a really great like satiric line that's like really funny, like in and of itself. And I think that if the movie had more sort of like that sort of winking Starship Trooper satire, Robocop style satire, um, it could have been really funny. But on the other end, uh, they have this little argument. She tries to hand him a personal check, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> tries to hand a drug dealer, or sorry, a gun runner, a personal check, which is, yeah, again, like a Robocop level, like absurd joke that's like just funny. And he says, Get the fuck out of my ice cream truck, you Crow Magnum bitch. <laughs> like, that also could have been another direction this movie could have gone in. Yeah. Um, we could have gone in the direction of, like, let's just lean into our absurdity. And the movie didn't quite either lean into its satiric absurdity or its outright absurdity. Yeah. Or its, like, vision of the future. And it kind of goes between all three of those in different scenes. But that was a scene I liked because it was just like hinting at the the different types of movies that could come out in the next hour and 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree with you that the satire could be a good direction if it wasn't Richard Kelly. I think... It needed Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> yeah, someone, yeah, exactly. Like, I think the, the bones are good. The structure's good. But if, if you wanted to see a good Richard Kelly version of this movie, I think you needed to get away from the satire and go more into weirdo sincerity, which is where I think his sweet spot is. For uh, sure. Where he commits to his ideas. And I think I think every attempt to wink is like someone that just was explained the concept of jokes and humor and it really feels like he just is an alien from another planet trying to make jokes and <laughs> say bad words. Well, the one I thought that I had during the, the I mean, I, I'll get to my positives in just a half second, but the the actress who played the one who ends up on the beach saying, uh, like, I want to suck your dick or whatever, that felt like it was written for only because who they cast, or maybe it wasn't a river, it felt like it was very Maya Rudolph-esque, um, which made me think of Idiocracy, which is where it kind of took off um only because there were so many snl people in it it felt like it was like oh they found a maya rudolph-esque person to just play that part um no for the most part i thought you know they're it's it's not like the the actors who did get steps out of this were like gigantic leaps nobody was throttled because of their roles but i still think that like you said i thought uh doing johnson was really good i thought justin timberlake I wasn't floored by his narrating, but I thought his actual on-screen acting was great. And then um, Sean William Scott, all three of them afterwards seemed to, whether it was because of this movie or not, uh, take the correct steps to further their career from what they had and even like diversify their talents. Um, Because, you know, obviously all of them went to be even bigger stars. So I just thought like that was interesting. Yeah, Sean William Scott. Strategy. Really 
Well, no, I really liked him in. Uh, I'm a big fan of Goon, so yeah, Goon, I feel like okay. that really yeah, good. Goon, Goon's fantastic. I would draw my being an asshole to someone no, that no, I don't no. know, and that is why even when I like put that, that's all I can think of. It's not like I can think of con- like a bunch of uh, you know examples for him. But that that is he's one always where, better when he's being, playing a sweetheart like he is in this and Goon. Well, only because you think yep. before that he was the American Pie guy. So yeah. so like a shaved head even weird twin racist cop trying to play his racist cop twin self for the you know front of like propaganda or whatever it's like okay it shows that he's at least trying to do something hopefully um but no i don't want to derail this whole thing but is he supposed to be really racist i don't know whether his original self was (laughs) because he has no character in this movie i I couldn't tell what yeah i don't think that they really (laughs) solidify one way or another whether his copy was I think his copy was just mind wiped, so they just said, "Hey, we're going to use you for our intent." I actually thought Will Sasso was pretty good in it too. For I his thought minor he was too. Role. Yeah, um, Will Sasso is a, a a pretty impressive dude, and like a lot of Mad TV people, like uh, Phil Lamar, he just got stuck in a shitty show. Yeah, I also thought I wanted that more uh, John Larroquette and Wall. I mean, Wall Sean. It's it's a fucking like if you look at this 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 cast list, it's just a uh, oh my god, awesome, 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 yeah. awesome. Um, also, too, it, it, it was similar concepts, and actually it's the same, like, group of people, but I loved, loved, loved the idea of Dwayne The Rock Johnson coming to Will Sasso, Mohawk dude, and uh, third character who doesn't matter because he's just <laughs> suspicious looking, and deciding, <laughs> oh, I understand now that I'm against them, ripping off a shirt, chugging a beer, and, like, clearly the guy has a shotgun, so he just shoots it in the air, and then he stops. But, like, yeah, no, I mean, what... What do you what do you think was was going to happen? Yeah, he has gun. You do not, and you're ten <laughs> feet away. And then the same thing happens with the um, the leader, the ice queen of like the NSA or whatever. She pulls out a machete and is still ten feet away. And you're like, yeah, no, they've got guns. There's no reason to try and do a sprint towards them. And like that, that I mean, I know that's not groundbreaking to a degree, but that felt more like a like with the rock. The rundown would be all of a sudden. Then he'd just you know, punch him. He'd punch them all. He'd punch them all and then he'd win. And you're just like, no. <laughs> I thought those parts were interesting. I mean, overall in the movie, like I said, super ambitious. I always kind of like tip my hat as a film lover. I'll always like a movie for trying to shoot huge and uh, coming up short or, you know, in this case, just kind of ending up everywhere uh, for better or for worse. I could see why this would be his one that he looks back on and thinks not only, hey, like you said, where it's like he's got the budget, he's got free range, but also if he could go back knowing, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. if he could go back knowing where to cut corners here and there, where to polish it, this and that, um, I'd like to see that movie. I wish I could see that one if, he, if this one ended up almost like on his rough draft written down and he redid it. I think that there could be something closer to a Donnie Darko-esque of, you know, holding close to my heart. Um, So there is, there is like a weird wanting to love this movie and it just uh, falling short, even though I wasn't expecting a ton. Um, So I don't know. I guess that's my piece. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that, uh, like you were saying, it's good All to... All good movies my... should be capped with a long sigh. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I think that all movies... The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think that I respect all movies that have a sort of core ambition to them and they're trying to reach well above their their pay grade because this movie does feel weirdly cheap in a charming way like this movie did not have the budget to do what it wanted to do despite the fact that it has like a million characters and they had to go back and add SFX shots like it still they, feels kind of cheap and they cut out full plot the lines can, with characters like the can cut apparently was 16 minutes longer in a very different movie yeah um more Janine, well, Janine yeah. Garofalo and then more Kevin Smith too I can't imagine this movie being any longer yeah um but the the core ambition should be rewarded and I feel like the people remembering this movie and talking about it sort of like Dune sort of like Stranger Days um is its reward I don't think it should be remembered as some sort of forgotten masterpiece. I think its reward is that people talk about it from years on end and say, this fucking guy made this movie. It's so weird. And it, it, it just like avoids comprehensibility <laughs> at all turns. And it, but yet at its core, it's trying to be human. I think it fails at being human, but it's trying to be human and I think that it, it deserves some credit for that because like Richard Kelly is never going to be I don't think I don't think so Richard Kelly is never going to be some great director that has made you know a dozen great movies or even three great movies. Well, they um, won't let him make movies. That's the yeah, problem. That's true. Well, you like you said, there's nothing on slate for the last seven years. Yeah. Said, right. Yeah, he's uh, he's a guy that he had some he had a few great ideas, but he's kind of a. a a classic case study of indie director gets too big of a head. And it's always fun to see what those guys, but it's always fun to see what those guys come up with. Yeah. I don't want to throw this on the trash heap like that, but I think it's, it's legacy should be stuff like what we're doing and what, like what other, what other sort of podcasts and, and movie blogs are doing where they're just like saying like, what worked here? What didn't work? I wish he was still putting out stuff just cause I think if he put, out four movies, none of them being large budgets because of obviously like this and the box. The box was was the box actually financially. It was not successful? at all. No. How it feels like it, so. it strikes me as a, a modest budget movie. But That's like crazy, it but was, was. But yeah, it it like I remember. I think it made something like infinitesimally small. I thought so too. Yeah. That's sad. Um. All right, because because I would rather him even still be turning out just indies because I think that if he spit out four movies at least one of those would hit with me it's like something to see I think that'll be interesting and I guess that's so I'll I'll do my wrap up that basically so I'm a little more positive I think that this movie is is worth your time I think he is a very interesting visionary has made two extremely good movies and then this one if the weird thing about this podcast sometimes is that if you would have talked to me about this movie a week ago I would have had a much different opinion of Southland Tales because it had enough imagery to stay with me and there was tons of components that I still I still think work. I think the last half hour where he drops the attempts at satire, the unnecessary subplots, gets rid of all the garish design and just kind of makes a weird um, Richard Kelly movie is fantastic. I think The Rock is fantastic. I think a lot of the casting, I think everyone's everyone's pretty good in this movie um the music is great between moby doing the score and like uh a lot of the song yeah. usage Wave there's, there's sometimes mm -hmm. yeah I love oh yeah that. i love that 
Yeah, there's definitely some times in this movie that it feels like this movie was cobbled together of different scenes that Richard Kelly had in his head when he was listening to songs. And like, what if I had this guy leave this house and there's smoke everywhere? Like, I get some, I think probably any of us who have ever thought about being a filmmaker, listen to a music video and think of how they would fit into a scene in a movie. And sometimes this movie feels like it was cobbled together from a few of those songs because those work really well and the connective tissue doesn't. But anyway, so I think there's a lot to recommend. I, I just think that the reason that, again, I think it's a weird movie. It's a unique movie. But yeah. It's so disapp- It feels like I had a balloon deflated in that <laughs> a week ago I would have said, yeah, kind of, you know, not as good. I still would have said it wasn't as good as The Box or Donnie Darko. But I'm like, you know what? I, I, I was skeptical and I didn't like it at first. But holy cow, this movie has stayed with me for 10 years. And I still think about certain moments of it. And it's it kind of turned a little bit into a you can't go home again. And my perception was, was way off. So I... Like I said, I probably came down more negative on it because I just I was super disappointed in in what I saw, and uh, I I remembered it being better, uh, and I just again the spine's all there. It's just it, it it's 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 great scenes in search of a much better movie. The ambition is all there. It's it's fun to talk about, but yeah, like like I said before, its its legacy is to be remembered as this unique cultural object that people like us talk about. Like that guy rose so high, and then he got to make his weird fucking movie, and then they made him go away. <laughs> I should because I think I'm, I'm generally a very positive person, especially when it comes to films. Like even if I'm watching something on Netflix, it's hard. Like, even when I'm like, oh, that that was whatever, I give it three out of five stars. I'm like, well, there was still, like, things worthwhile. Um, I think the best thing that came out of this movie was, I guess I should watch The Box. Yeah. Um, yeah, cause, let's, cause, you guys, don't watch that movie. Let's, no, let's do that on the podcast. I want to revisit it. We'll do that yeah. in 2017. <laughs> the movie's about boxes. Yeah. Uh, yep, all, it all fits. <laughs> the movie's about uh, <laughs> and, and I will, you know what, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to plug too that I, I haven't listened to it yet because I know um, I knew they I didn't realize they were going to do this um, when we had already planned to, to do the episode on Southland Tales. But I do know that uh, we can include a link to this in the show notes at Celluloid Closet, a great podcast with a couple of co-dissolvers of ours. Did a recent episode on Southland Tales that is it's two hours of some effusive praise which is great because i think i understand if you really love this movie so if you listen to this and we're frustrated by um maybe us not uh giving this movie what you think is its due uh a great podcast with some very fun hosts uh did so i love crash celluloid and it is uh, just the sort of podcast that we'd love to plug on here so um are, yeah, the, hosts, you... are the hosts better or worse than this podcast <laughs> much better first of all they don't make you sit right next to them right <laughs> i asked peter if i could do this for my apartment he's like no no come over yeah let's do this <laughs> why, why do I have a love seat if no love happens on it? <laughs> so speaking of which, yeah, Ryan, thank you so much for for joining us. I know that probably Peter Peter would normally be the one to thank you, but you know Heath probably thanks you all the time for hanging out with him, being his friend. It's true. Um, it's a big so, deal. Yeah, it's most weekends. Yeah, this, it ends with a handshake, being like, "Thank you so much for hanging out with me." Yeah. <laughs> An envelope with a, a check inside. Yeah, here you go. Here's your monthly stipend. <laughs> um, Ryan is the worst kind of whore. No. Yeah, well, because Ryan, uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say this, I had heard that Ryan was going to be on like 20 episodes ago, and I'm like, yeah, do it. 
Let's see what, what happens. Um, and now we got Death oh, Wish 3. We talked about having you on for oh, Death Wish 3, but you right. didn't come on. I really wish that this was a movie. I think Death Wish 3 I would have been raving about. Just because <laughs> that's my kind, of, my kind of film is just over the top. Bronson blowing away goddamn hoodlums yeah can can movies are are the the bag for us yeah, i'm really excited to do the box yeah. because i think you guys will both like that it'll be fun to do something that you two haven't seen um yeah we should try to schedule that for like january or something because now now that we're talking about it, i'm super excited to talk about the box so um anyway yeah so thank you so much so next week uh we have two more weeks of uh kitchen oh actually hold on uh ryan do you have anything to plug nope okay there you go <laughs> So we have two more weeks left of uh, Kitchen Sink, Bug Nuts. Uh, next week is a movie that I know we're going to like a little more, uh, which is uh, Haosu, which uh, Bridget Taylor from The Dissolve will be will be our guest. We're super excited about that one. I'm just excited to see that movie again because I'm not sure if everything that happened that I remember in that movie is what happened in that movie or a half remembered dream because those two blend together very easily yeah the uh, house who is uh operates on dream logic so uh if you've slept since the last time you saw house who probably is uh, half of what you remember and half of what really happened yep and then our final week is going to be fantastic planet with uh dustin kosky uh who runs our youtube channel uh we love to watch on youtube and uh dustin has been on the show before and uh yeah that should be a really fun episode it better be dustin it better be <laughs> um, no no a simple plan was uh was a hilarious episode uh with a lot of great uh thoughts about it, it was so, a very giggly um, episode yeah that was probably it was at least at the time that we did it i feel like that was the most giggles that needed to be edited out just for clarity um <laughs> just like 10 seconds of just like masturbatory giggles before i actually yeah. got up yeah yeah it was a really good episode so yeah we're, we're so excited to have him back and he's been he's been a great supporter and uh helper of this show so yeah we're uh it's gonna be a good one and then i think probably next week we'll announce the next month we already we already have october all lined up with guests and uh and a special surprise at the end of the month so we're super excited to talk about that that was the smoothest one you ever had god damn it was like caramel was so <laughs> i was expecting another and we're loving to watch and you're loving to listen for a second, I thought you just said it and signed off, and then you're just like, done. <laughs> so cool. later. If you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh, yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher and itunes thanks for listening